What's good, y'all? Welcome back to the Playmakers Corner Podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Simon Villanos, a.k.a. Coach V. I'm another one of your co-hosts, Cody Stauffer. And I'm your last co-host, Mason Austin. And on this special 100th episode of the Playmakers Corner, we are going to talk about our 2021 season in review. This last season, we had a lot of fun going to a, a ton of games, really, you know, from the middle school level. You know, we talked about that, Mason, you and I talked about that to the high school level. We went to it all, right? Um, and so for this episode, we really just want to, I mean, it's going to be a pretty chill episode. It's going to be a long episode, though. But regardless, a chill episode, we are going to talk about, you know, all of the predictions we made before the season, some of the storylines we really like going into the season, players that emerged, um, you know, upsets that we didn't see coming, stories that we didn't see coming, all of it. We're just going to talk about this last 2021 Colorado high school football season. And, you know, this is going to be where we could give a lot more opinions. You know, I know we do a lot of film breakdowns and more rigid, like, analysis and stuff, but this will be definitely more opinionated as, you know, three guys who covered uh, 1 through 5A Colorado high school football this entire season and went to many games and, you know, really, really studied some of these matchups and stuff going on. And so we are going to go 1 through 5A, and with that, we are going to start with the 1A level of Colorado high school football. Let me give the quick rundown. I went back and listened to episode 52, our 1A um, season preview, 2021 season preview. And in episode 52, our predicted champs, me and Cody uh, were on this episode. We agreed on Lyman being able to forepeat and doing their thing there. But we also mentioned Buena Vista, Centauri, and Meeker as uh, the other contenders that would be in that mix for either, uh, you know, getting into that state championship game or making a deep playoff run. And so with that being said, let's go ahead and talk about Lyman here. So, look, we all predicted them to four-peat. Mason, I mean, you probably knew this already because uh, in your playoff rackets, which we'll talk about later here, you did pick them to win it as well. We were pretty high on Lyman for a lot of good reasons, you know. They won the last three straight championships. They're on some sort of like 20-ish game win streak, or at least it felt like they're on a 20-game win streak. They haven't lost since basically, oh my God, like 2019, mid-2018. They still won the chip that year, though, so it didn't actually matter. But, you know, Lyman was rolling, and people were intimidated by this Lyman team here. Um, I'm going to say, I'm just going to go through some of these quotes here that we did say. We did say that Trey Hines, um, their quarterback slash safety, would be a big reason why they repeat because of his his experience both on offense and defense, even with Leeper in the backfield. Like, obviously, we knew Jeremiah Leeper would be that next guy, but Trey Hines was going to be a key part of that. Cody, you and I both recognized him as that. We also both praised Chase, or sorry, Chance Cannon, as a dominant lineman, both on offense and defense, even though we were concerned about the line and, you know, some of the guys that were, they they were losing to graduation. And so Chance Cannon being there was kind of like, okay, they are losing like two or three starters here, but they have Chance Cannon coming back. If you're a lineman, you work with that, right? And then lastly, we did praise Kai Bandy as an all-around athlete that can contribute on offense, 
specifically, Cody, I don't I don't know why, but you said that he could be a very good running back on offense and be kind of like that second guy to Jeremiah Leeper. So that's what you said. And then on defense as well, he would do his thing as most of these guys play both sides. Oh, and then, sorry, lastly, Cody, you said um, uh, Brady Rockwall, I want to say, right? It's Brady Rockwall. He plays wide receiver. <clears throat> yeah. Sorry, I hit the wrong button. But uh, <laughs> I think it. I, I think it might be Rockwell, but uh, you or know Rockwell. he he was uh, he's a great receiver. First off, I want to say, and uh, you know he balled out catching passes this year. But you know, looking through you know the past couple of years and just his career, you know he did take snaps under center. And honestly, Lyman, I'd say out of almost any team in the entire state, had one of the most ideal quarterback rooms for what they're trying to accomplish. And you know they they could still win games with Brady or Trey. And, uh, you know, I, I think we saw firsthand evidence of that a little bit later on. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, but also on top of that, we did talk about, other than the players, <clears throat> we talked about the Lyman legacy, how teams are, you know, kind of giving them the Alabama treatment. Like maybe they don't have as much talent as they did in years before, but they're still linemen. And so they're gonna intimidate you into, I mean, they're gonna intimidate intimidate you and beat you and kind of get into your heads and, you know, blow out a lot of squads here. And you know what, for linemen here, that's what exactly they did. You know, I think our prediction for linemen was pretty spot on. Uh, I mean, shoot, they didn't lose a game into a state basically, but every single game they played I think they won by at least, well, except for Yuma. They, they, well, okay, uh, except for a handful of games here, I think they beat every team by at least 20 plus points. The only exceptions was Strasburg, who they only beat 20 to zero. Remember, that was the game where uh, their starting quarterback, Landon Martin, uh, got hurt and would basically miss the entire season. So there you go. And then, shoot. I'm not including State. And then I think, oh, against Yuma, it was only 34 to 10, so I guess they only won by 24. I mean, still, though. Other than that, Lyman rolled through their schedule. Boys, is there anything you want to comment on that? Like, I mean, was this really that surprising leading up into the playoffs? No, I wasn't surprised at all, to be honest with you. Um, as you've seen in like my playoff predictions and stuff, I had Lyman going to the chip and I didn't expect them to lose it. And honestly, up next season, you know, I know they're losing some people, but I could see them doing it again. They're well coached over there. Yeah, no, I wasn't surprised. You know, obviously we chose them to win for a reason. And, you know, I remember, uh, I remember those Lyman boys being hype when that, when a preview came out, you know, I appreciate their support all the time, but especially Chance, where it's just like, uh, uh, I, I said that Lyman was like everyone's father, you know, in 1A football or just like, and how much they dominate. And, you know, they they still hold the record for most state titles by a high school program here in the state of Colorado. And I don't think that's something, like Mason said, that's going to change anytime soon. I guess I was just surprised that, you know, how much they blew their competition out of the water. I mean, Meeker, you know, we're going to talk about them here in a second. They're a team that I was like, you know, like, 
if they get hot at the right time, maybe they can compete for state. And Lyman came out and smacked them 43 to six to start the season. And after Simon and I saw that score, we're like, oh yeah, they're going to win state again. So, you know, it, and that was, I also appreciated this episode because it also got us to take a look at some other programs. But I mean, I'd say the only other surprise of this entire year was that they were losing to Wiggins at one point in late October. But <laughs> other and than that. They still won. And, but, but, yeah, and they yeah. still won. I, I'm just saying it was a shock to see them behind yeah, this no, season because that's just sure. the reputation that they had. Not Absolutely. only did, not only no. were they down, but then they ended up coming back and winning 59 to 27. Yeah, that's a statement. Yeah, they were like, oh, you want to put one on us? <laughs> no, yeah, for sure. I mean, Lyman really lived up to expectations this season. Even if they didn't win state, I... If I were those boys, obviously you already have three other rings, so you'll be okay. But, you know, I would be happy with how the season ended. They gave it a really good shot. And like I said, I mean, like we said, they weren't really challenged until the end here because that's just how dominant they are. Uh, before we move on, Cody, you were quote. I'm going to I'm gonna throw you this quote that you said. Uh, I'm going to paraphrase it, but you also said that, you know, Lyman uh, made the rest of 1A football their own personal kind of uh, petting zoo of sorts and that's how you that's, saw that's what I, that's what it was that chance yeah. chance responded with the the laugh crying emojis he loved that he said i'm gonna be saying that all the time <laughs> so i mean and it was true they they that's what it was they domesticated that's what it was they domesticated the rest of winning football and uh you know it was looking like that all the way throughout the regular season and even the postseason it looked that way too uh, to an extent. So, yeah, there is not a lot of surprises there, at least as far as we're talking preseason preview. But Yes, uh, and then going through the season as well. I mean, they just, it was as predicted, you know, um, which is fine. You know, we, we knew that was going to happen. I think a lot of people knew that was going to happen. And so we're going to kind of leave that there. And uh, we're, we'll talk about another team that we kind of listed as a contender here, and that is Meeker. Now, while we were talking about Meeker, we did predict in their schedule that they would take L's in the regular season. That is against Buena Vista and Lyman. Um, we also talked about how Kelton Turner can um, potentially win MVP. I think one of us said if he gets 30 carries a game, then he could win MVP. And that was behind a dominant front, which they did have. And then we also mentioned how, you know, although they have all these pieces, they have big Lyman, they have Kelton Turner, they need another scoring option and how that might actually be a problem going into the season here. Now, Cody, you did mention how they got mollywhopped by Lyman to start the season. So we knew how, I mean, you know, we, we, we knew, we, we knew that was probably going to happen, but maybe not exactly like that. But regardless, Lyman made a statement, beat them 43 to six. Now this Buena Vista game, um, you know, they only lost to them 17 to 14. They had to travel to Buena Vista to go play them in their, um, you know, in, in their house, basically. But other than that, we were right. They only lost two regular season games, and they were the two that we predicted. Cody, do you want to kind of talk about Meeker here and, uh, you know, kind of how their season went and, you know, maybe some things that were surprising, unsurprising? Yeah, no, and I was I was very high on Meeker, and you know I still have a lot of respect for Kelton Turner. He just narrowly missed our top running backs list. 
please make sure to listen to one of our most controversial episodes, episode 98. And we'll be touching on that a little bit here later as well. But anyways, you know, Meeker, I was really excited for them. And, you know, I think that they were, they had some very quality wins. I mean, they smacked North Fork, who was, you know, their biggest competition in league. They beat them 30 to 13, you know, and then they also took care of business on the road against Gunnison in a 28 to 12 win. But I really think that, you know, the crazy thing about Meeker's season is, you know, the Buena Vista games. They were leading in both games against Buena Vista this season. And, you know, I think that they could have gone toe-to-toe with, you know, Lyman. I think that if they played Lyman a second time, it would have gotten a little bit different, honestly. But really, I forget who said it, but them not having another weapon is kind of what this came down to. I mean, if you look, Kelton Turner had 23 rushing touchdowns, all right, out of out of 39. And it took like nine other players to get those other 16 touchdowns, you know, with the next guy having six. And as far as, you know, it, it just... And another thing that stinks is that because he was getting so many touches in the backfield, they couldn't really wheel him out at, you know, wide receiver where he also excels, I might add. And their quarterbacks weren't, you know, necessarily the greatest, I'd say. And that did, I think, ultimately prevent them from making it further than the second round of the playoffs. But, I mean, Kelton Turner, he put this city of Meeker on his back this season. And he was one of our MVP candidates as far as most valuable playmaker goes. So, you know, I think that if Meeker wins state, then we're looking at a story where he wins 1A player of the year uh, fairly easily. I think that's not a far-fetched tale to tell, uh, especially what he brought to both sides of the ball. Um, yeah, Fair that's kind of where, where I stand with, uh, with Meeker there. <laughs> Mason, would you agree with that about Meeker? How they were, you know, maybe a little too reliant on Kelton Turner here? Yeah, no, I definitely agree. I think if they had one or two more weapons to kind of where they, you know, didn't have to focus on one guy the whole time, I bet you they could have probably given, you know, Lyman a run on some of the games that they've faced in the last couple of years. Fair enough. So um, I do want to point this out, Cody. I, I don't know if you mentioned this, but the only other player to score more than two touchdowns yeah, to score more than two touchdowns for this Meeker team was Connor Blunt, who scored, who's a junior, who scored six touchdowns. Who's Everyone their quarterback, else, by the way? Yeah, he is their quarterback, so there's no surprises there. Everyone else scored two touchdowns except for Kelton Turner. And so, I mean, we were pretty spot on with that. I don't think um, there's too much more to talk about there until we get into playoffs. So uh, let's keep it going, but... Uh, you know, let's talk about Buena Vista here. So we said, you know, this Buena Vista team, this BV squad, they would take a step forward this year uh, compared to last year. And they did play in the spring. So we did anticipate them having a little bit more momentum, you know, just playing in the spring. And we did also interview Hayden Camp. You know, he said, you know, they've been clicking since um, basically since 
Um, their season ended. They had some summer try or not tryouts, summer workouts, and it, everything was going good. And you know, when I went to that preseason game against Manitou Springs, I guarantee you everything looked pretty good. So there you go. But we said, um, you know, for this Bonavista team, as far as regular season goes, um, Meeker will be their biggest challenge next to Florence. Other than that, you know, we kind of expected uh, Buena Vista to roll through here. We said if Hayden Camp, their young quarterback, takes a significant step forward, then he could unlock a whole gear for uh, Buena Vista. We predicted Tucker Storms as a 1,000-yard receiver. Um, we said uh, Jacob Phelps, the running back, has the potential uh, of a workhorse MVP type of running back, you know. And, and then ultimately we said, you know, Buena Vista has a strong chance at going to state and challenging Lyman because they had multiple candidates or they would have multiple candidates for MVP. That's what we said. And, you know, this Buena Vista team, they were rolling. You know, they did not lose at all in this season, in this regular season. You know, I got to see them against Banning Lewis Academy. Started a little bit slow, you know, and that's not a bad team out there either in Colorado Springs, but still beat them 48-19. to Um Against Meeker, you know, beat them 17-14. to 14. That was a close one the first time around, that is. Against Florence near the end of the season, just barely beat them 20-14 to 14 here. You know, and then another close game that I think, or a couple close games here, or actually here, let's talk about that. So, you know, Buena Vista dominated throughout this regular season, got a close dubs against Meeker and Florence, like we said, still went undefeated like we basically predicted Cody or Mason, do you want to talk about that? Talk about, you know, their dominance and, um, well, how we were right? <laughs> yeah, no, looking at their season, um, well, they, you know, they had barely any close games at all until the playoffs, basically. You know, like Colorado Springs Christian, 49-12. to 12. Florence, they beat 20-14, to 14, which was a close game. And then, you know, going into playoffs, they ended up facing, you know, Gunnison, which wasn't a close game at all. And then they get into their close games, you know, the Meeker game and then, you know, losing to Centauri to send Centauri to the, you know, chip. So, you know, all season they dominated starting the year 47 0, 48-19, 35-7, 21-8, 17-14 against Meeker. Like you said, it was a close game. And then North Fork, 28-21. So then they beat Rye 49 to 6. Colorado Christian, like I said, 49-12. And then, you know, Florence and then went into playoffs against Gunnison. So, you know, they definitely didn't keep it close all year. Yeah, and I just want to say, you know, um, I definitely liked Buena Vista's odds because they could pass the ball. You know, looking uh, we're always looking for those teams that can do a little bit more than one dimensional and you know we were definitely looking at Hayden Camp as you know a potential best quarterback in 1A kind of projection you know and I'd say during the regular season he did a lot you know both through the air and with his legs to kind of reinforce that and you know also kind of talking to him on episode 56 go ahead and listen to that that is our interview with Hayden Camp and you know he just uh, kind of told us a lot of things that inspired confidence in us following, you know, our preview and whatnot. So, you know, that was huge, just actually getting to talk to somebody on the inside and getting to learn a little bit about what goes on at Buena Vista. And, you know, this season was, it was a weird one. 
they made a lot of these games a lot closer than they probably should have. You know, or I shouldn't say that, but I mean, they were behind a lot this season. Like, in that meager game during the regular season, they were trailing. In that North Fork game, that's a good a good team, they were trailing. Against Florence, they were trailing. Like, you know, they had a lot of comeback wins. I think potentially they might have even not scored first against Peyton before going on a 21 unanswered point streak. So, you know, they they were living for the show for sure this year. And, you know, part of that was obviously during the regular season, you know, Tucker Storm struggled with injury and whatnot, but he was everything that we projected him to be in this preseason preview. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, shout out to Seth Moss, who we mentioned as well as somebody who could be a leader on this defense. Did actually lead the team in total tackles with 87, also had five and a half uh, tackles for losses. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, they, they had a lot of guys here, you know. Um, Seth Moss also uh, co-leading in interceptions with three with Jacob Phelps and Hurley. I want to say that's his last name, Orion Hurley. So, you know, they, they had some guys obviously on offense, you know, Hayden Camp. Uh, I'm, I'm not even going to lie. I kind of expected maybe Hayden Camp to have maybe cleaner stats passing and whatnot. It wasn't bad, you know, like horrible, but I mean, it's good enough to be up there as one of the best quarterbacks, maybe not the best quarterbacks, though. But, you know, had 930 passing yards for 11 touchdowns to six interceptions. You know, I kind of thought maybe they would pass the ball a little bit more here. And so, I mean, the six interceptions doesn't look as bad as the um, the lack of touchdowns IMO. But he did run it a lot, as, you know, that was pretty obvious, as he ran for 1,215 yards, which is basically 101 yards a game. That's really good. You know, uh, I thought he had a little bit more in that. I think taking a step into next year, uh, I would like to see him have, you know, more similar passing yards, if not more, slightly more passing yards than rushing yards, but love to see that. Also had 12 rushing touchdowns. Jacob Phelps, who we named a MVP candidate. Uh, I mean, he barely missed out on MVP and Opoi, but, you know, he was there. He had 834 rushing yards, 15 rushing touchdowns. He also had... But Jacob Phelps, he had uh, 297 receiving yards and two receiving touchdowns. Maybe I expected a little bit more there. But no, you're right, Cody. There are definitely some closer games here. And I think in hindsight, that was probably a little bit of a red flag. I think um, Buena Vista, they're still going to be good going into next year. I think they're probably the prime contender, if any, if I'm being completely honest with you with how many um, other teams are graduating players. You know, but I think going into next year, like, you got to stomp on some of these teams. Like, you can't let Meeker hang around. can't let Peyton hang around. Florence, I know they're a good team, but that should be a statement game, you know. Um, and so, in hindsight, uh, same with North Fork, in hindsight, it was probably a little bit of a red flag that they were winning so many games closely. I know they did struggle with injuries, and so I wonder how that's going to affect going into next year. Um, I wonder if that playing that spring season caused them to be a little worn down as this season dragged on. Um, Cody or Mason, what do you think about that theory? Because I, I could sense that like there was definitely maybe a little bit of fatigue, and that's why some of these injuries were lingering more than more than anything and just not going away. But what do you think about that statement uh, with them kind of going through it there? I think that's true. You know, I had a chance to talk to Tucker Storms at the uh, Strasburg versus Flatirons Academy game because him and um, 
is it is it Zach? I think out there at Strasbourg. Oh, right, yeah, Zach. Yeah. They're cousins, which uh, again that just happens a lot in one A. I guess where people are just related. But anyways, um, I got to talk to him a little bit about a season, and he is just so excited that they had a breather before the playoffs. You know, because he's just. Like, yeah, we, we had that short turnaround from the spring season, you know, where we were pretty competitive and we had to come right back and get to it, you know, and there's definitely, he kind of talked about just in general, a lot of the guys were playing at least banged up, you know, maybe not injured, but banged up uh, from week to week and whatnot. So, you know, that's definitely something to consider. And I bet they're looking forward to a more full off season, you know, coming up this year. And uh, yeah. Mason, what do you think about what I said about their fatigue and whatnot? I think it definitely showed if you look at their schedule and like going into playoffs. You know, they were rolling in the beginning of the season when they were still kind of fresh. And towards the end of the season is when you saw those closer games coming into play. And I think that, you know, if they had the full offseason, they weren't just, you know, going 100% the whole time. I think they would have, you know, maybe been able to beat out Centauri in this last game to send them to the chip instead. Fair enough. And speaking of Centauri, let's talk about them real quick here. Um, I want to talk about them more in the playoffs. So I'll just mention some of the things we said here. We mentioned a Mason Clutch right away as a 1A Player of the Year candidate, which he did win. Um, we said that because he was the lead scorer last year, so I think that's important to keep in mind here. Um, and he performed this year as well. That's why he won it. You know, We also talked about just all the defensive players that are bringing back and why you know, they will have one of the top defenses this year, one of the stingiest run defenses this year. That's what we said. You know, we talked about Baron Holman. We talked about Burr. We talked about Shawcroft, uh, Clanch, who, who plays both ways. We talked about all of them. And so we predicted them, you know, to not only have an explosive player of the year type of back in Mason Clanch, but we also predicted them to potentially have a top one or two defense in one day. And so they were going to be big contenders, of course. Um, we also predicted that, you know, in the regular season, they should go undefeated pretty easily with, you know, possibly challenges against Ray and Monte Vista. At least that's what Cody said. Or, yeah, that's what Cody said, because I didn't know that um, enough of it. Now, looking at their schedule against Ray, um, they did struggle just a little bit. That was their the closest game. game of the year. Yeah, that was their first. Well, not the closest game of the year, but in the regular well, season. Well, in the regular season, it was by yeah. far their closest game of the year. The Monte yeah. Vista one was not correct. Uh, no, no, because uh, Ray, they beat 28 to 14. Granted, it was the first game of the year, so just keep that in mind. Monte Vista, they destroyed 55 to 8. So, yeah. Um, you know what? I'll get y'all's reactions as we get into the playoffs here, because I kind of want to steer more towards that direction. And I want to mention some of these other teams before we talk playoffs, but did mention Estes Park and their pass first system, um, like mentioned them as a team that, you know, they did some things last year, but because they're losing like four receivers, I, I don't know if they'll be able to do the same thing. I know the quarterback Colin, uh, is it Reese? Reese over at Estes Park? He was one of the lead passers in 1A anyways, but, you know, didn't win exactly a ton of games. We also mentioned Flatirons Academy and how they were in-state last year during the spring, but 
talked about how they are losing the majority of their starters and that this year was going to be a big rebuilding year. Um, I did say they aren't making the play. I said uh, they aren't making the playoffs this year because they're losing the quarterback, the running backs, the receivers, like their line. They're losing basically everything at this point, except for one or two players, uh, very Cherry Creek-like, except they couldn't get it done like Cherry Creek because um, they kind of have smaller numbers anyways. But, you know, Flatirons Academy definitely uh, surprised us early on. They won a lot of games they probably shouldn't have won, if I'm being completely honest with you, despite having an entirely new slate. And then talked about some of the, you know, spring playoff teams. This is just a big old bunch, so I'm not going to go all the way through and list them all. But basically, we were quoted. I think, Cody, you said this. You said, outside of Buena Vista, I don't see a lot of these teams making the playoffs, which is correct. I don't think any spring – I don't think any team that played in the spring outside of Buena Vista made the playoffs. Did, in one did Peyton play in the spring or no? No. No, they're in Colorado Springs, bro. They played in the fall. You. Well, I'm pretty sure they did. But Yeah, no. That yeah. really sounds right. But, I mean, yeah, just uh, don't mean to, to butt in here, but Flatirons Academy, you know, 6-3 and three is something that they can be proud of. You know, I got to see them in that game against Strasburg. Obviously, didn't go the way that they wanted. But just to fill in the listeners who don't know, Flatirons Academy, they have to play at, like, the Westminster Sports Complex. They don't even have their own field. Like, they play, you know, where, where like, middle schools and stuff play. And I talked to some of the fans, you know, they said this is a very young program. And, you know, they, they want to have a place to play in the next five years. But they were, like, a merging of a couple of schools is, you know, kind of how Flatirons Academy happened. So, you know... That's kind of difficult because home field advantage. When you when you're facing off against a team like a Strasburg that has such a rich history in football, or you know you're facing off against a Highland that you know gets that solid local support out there in Alt, you know, and that's kind of like the crown jewel of Alt is that Highland kind of football team, or against this Wiggins who has sent guys to the NFL already, you know, and obviously kind of helps them take care of you know like i i went to a game for wiggins as well and it's a nice game day atmosphere you know they got themselves a nice little field there and it it feels like a high school football game flatirons academy doesn't get that luxury i don't think and you know i think it kind of shows when they go off against some of these heavyweights you know and even against all you know even against highland i mean out of all if they win that game they were in the postseason and they only lost by seven points so, you know, Flatirons Academy, those boys, and there's some good athletes there, you know, like Nolan Shepard, their quarterback, he didn't have the best season passing, but honestly, watching the game that they played, there just wasn't a lot of targets either, you know, the way that they had to run their offense, it felt shorthanded, and it kind of was. So, you know, they they really had to rely a lot on, you know, Nolan and Roy Ball making plays, and their team size, even... Even though 1A, we Ben knew that team sizes are small. Their team was small even by 1A standards. I mean, seriously, I counted, you know, less than 30 players there on that sideline for them. And most most 1A schools at least have over 30. I mean, they're probably dressing up their entire program, mind you, but I'm positive Flatirons was. You know, they don't have, you know, a JV. They don't have a freshman team. They have the Flatirons Academy squad. And that's what they roll with. So 
you know, I, I just wanted to take some time, put some respect on their name because, I mean, they still had a solid year. They are graduating Roy Ball, but they do get Shepard back for another year. He's a solid athlete, and they run a nice little, you know, th- they have a couple of decent plays with them as far as read and speed options and whatnot. And they also have a junior back in Glowicki, De- Devin. I, yeah, Devin Glowicki is his name. And so, you know, I think that that's a team that, with with the major turnovers that are happening, you know, on this 1A level, that's somebody to kind of keep an eye on in the future. And I just wanted to take some time to put some respect on them. And they just, they barely missed the playoffs. It's just, they ran into Strasburg in a win it and get in a win or go home game. And you don't want, you don't want to run into that uh, it, with those circumstances because Strasburg, they've been around the block. <laughs> to say the least and they had some dogs on that team as well so yeah no absolutely and uh you know speaking of Strasburg Cody you did say I don't know if Strasburg could make the playoffs because of tough because because of a tough schedule and I agreed you know I wasn't gonna let you <laughs> go on uh you know let you out to dry on that one um but you know we did interview with a lot of the strong well, with two of the Strasburg boys Landon Martin and Matthias Brown, they kind of, you know, they, they they convinced me, to be honest with you. They had a good thing going here. Did lose a pretty close game against a two-way team here in Platte Valley, who is also a team that we're going to talk about um, on, on the two-way segment here. But other than that, they beat Yuma 19-16 to as they started to gel against Lyman. It looked like it was going well until Landon Martin, unfortunately, um, you know, he got hurt, broke his collarbone, and that was basically it. For the season, at least for him, only lost to Lyman twenty to zero, one of their closest games on the year. So that's a little disappointing. Didn't help that they had to turn around and play Centauri like right after that the next week and lose to them forty eight to three. But after that, they went on a nice five game win streak here, including beating Flatirons Academy forty two to zero, making do with what they had. Um, every game except for the Highland game, which they beat them 19 to seven, you know, was a complete blowout. They won by at least 40 points, which was uh, huge for Strasburg. And I mean, look, I gotta put some respect on Strasburg's name. I think going into next year, along with Buena Vista, they're gonna be right there in contention. You know, in contention for state, in contention of um, you know making a deep run, run and winning it all because they're returning so many players. And, you know, they got to really put out a lot of players in there and get a lot of playing time for a lot of different guys. I know they are losing Matthias Brown, which will be a big hit to their defense. But knowing Strasburg, they always got a next guy up there. You know, they have a very good talent pool over there. And uh, honestly, looking forward to going to a game there sometime. Um, they did make the playoffs just barely, like I said. Um, but they lost to Yuma 35-20. to We'll get into that soon here. But before we go into playoffs... Cody or Mason, I kind of want to open the floor and let y'all talk about this. Uh, I don't have too much more to say here, but, you know, were there any storylines that were surprising? Um, You know, any teams that, you know, were like, okay, like they kind of piqued my interest here or athletes that kind of broke out here that uh, got your attention, Mason or Cody? Yeah, no, I definitely wanted to say, like, you know, I knew that, in the beginning of the season, you know, I wasn't huge into 1A yet. I wasn't really, you know, 
as far in as you guys were. But, you know, I knew Lyman was good and I knew like a couple teams were good. But I thought it was really cool to see like Centauri, Meeker, all of those programs, you know. Uh, and as I watched and looked into him, like Mason Clonch really showed that, you know, he was definitely deserving of what he, you know, got. And they did a great job this year. Yeah, and uh, I'm, I'm glad that, you know, we got your interest going, you know, at least later in the season and whatnot, um, especially for those 1A polls. That made that a lot of fun. And I just wanted to take some time to kind of talk about, you know, uh, I was looking through our Playmakers of the Week throughout the year. You know, as far as the regular season goes, you know, it was interesting to see Lyman send two guys, you know, uh, Ellie or gosh dang it Eli my bad Eli Eli Wysinski you know he won our playmaker of the week in week two and you know also Trey Hines won it in week seven in week seven Trey or no week eight Trey won playmaker of the week so you know that was pretty cool but basically all these teams that had a playmaker of the week made the playoffs other than you know Jewel Cameron out of Manual High School he's their quarterback and, you know, he put them in a position to win their league. Uh, but ultimately, you know, with tiebreakers and whatnot and strength of schedule fell a little bit short, uh, seeding that 16th seed to Bennett. But anyways, you know, he did ball out and, you know, he made a little wager with me. He said, hey, if I win this game, you know, and I go off, then I could be playmaker of the week. Right. With with our season and postseason on the line. I said, you know what? That's that's a deal I'm willing to make, you know, uh, virtually shook on it, you know, over DMs and whatnot. But he did deliver. And I was really bummed when they didn't make the postseason, you know, and, you know, I'm pretty sure he's only a junior. So he should be someone on our uh, on our watch list for sure heading into this next season. And then obviously, you know, we can't talk 1A football without talking about the Sprags. You know, episode 53 is the Miles Sprague interview. And, you know, Holyoke, they definitely had an up-and-down kind of year. You know, I mean, they had some, they just, I don't know. I think they had kind of a tough time putting it all together at once, you know, because they did have a loss against Florence, 36-15. to And it's like, uh, I'm not sure how much of a competitor they are. And, you know, they did have a loss to Ray during the regular season, 28 to 11. But, you know, then they beat Wiggins in Wiggins, Colorado, 41 to 26 and just absolutely go off. So, you know, I I just wanted to shout them out. They have a lot of talent there. They're very well coached and they lost probably other than the championship other than the championship game, probably the most exciting playoff game in all of uh 1A playoffs. And, you know, if Simon or Mason don't have anything else to say, I think this is a good time to start talking about, you know, our bracket previews as well as the playoffs. Wait, Cody. Wait. Um, first off, I agree with all of that. Okay. Um, you know, Holyoke, they did their thing. The Sprakes, they did their thing. Miles Sprague will be missed because he was a heck of a player that just did everything, you know. But, you know, we didn't talk about Wiggins at all, which we need to talk about because um, True. You know, they did their thing. They were... If there was any team that was a surprise this season, it was probably them. And, I mean, look, let's be honest. If you look at the record from last year, they're starting sophomores and underclassmen, and, like, they barely – like, I think they didn't win a game or whatever. And so, 
They went two and five during the COVID year, and they didn't win a single game in league is the really concerning part. They weren't close at all in league in the 2020 season. So we did not see them coming and their growth, but man, they came ready to play. Yeah, there really wasn't anything to go off of and be like, oh, yeah, they're going to be good all of a sudden unless we were right there in Wiggins with them. You know, but, you know, I want to put some respect on Cole Kerr. He won probably the most Playmakers of the Week awards here. Um, also, I'm pretty sure he's our O point, too, um, when all was said and done. He's only a junior, but on the season, 2,120 passing yards, 27 passing touchdowns, so only 12 interceptions. Also ran the ball for 1,129 uh, rushing yards and 15 rushing touchdowns. Um, his boy, fellow junior Omar Perez, he benefited from a lot of that, uh, snagging in 804 receiving yards for 14 uh, receiving touchdowns. Their backup, uh, number 88, is it Hashki? Or, sorry, uh, Fasiki? My bad, Fasiki. He yeah, had uh, 38 receptions for 578 yards, five touchdowns. A lot of these guys are going to be coming back. On the offensive side of the ball, I don't see any seniors except for Basler here, um, who had basically 200 receiving yards and two touchdowns. Other than that, you know, they did their thing. This was a very, very young team that was gelling as they went. Um, on the defensive side of the ball, you know, they were led by the Ibrahim brothers, Laith and Muhammad. Um, Muhammad, I mean, he had 110 total tackles as one of the lone seniors on this team. Pepper Rusher and uh, the Leith Ibrahim, Pep Rusher, by the way, winning defensive playmaker of the year with 108 tackles. And then the other younger Ibrahim brother with 100 tackles. And then Cole Kerr with 76 tackles right behind him, kind of establishing himself as a future MVP candidate going into next year, you know. Um, also Pep Rusher with 10 sacks and a game-winning uh, blocked kick that would help That I got to watch. Much. Yeah, that you got to watch. Live, I should specify. Well, yeah, but you got you were there in Wiggins when it happened in a thriller where they won thirty to twenty eight, one of their best wins all season, and really showed their potential here. Um, but you know, like I said, a very up and down season. They started with a four game win streak, dropped one against Ray, where they lost twenty to seven, dropped one against Holyoke right after they beat Yuma forty one to twenty six. You know, against Lyman, they were leading, uh, but Lyman did win eventually fifty nine to twenty seven there, but. Altogether, you know, very up and down season, but a lot, a lot of potential here, um, you know, going into the next year, because they're basically returning the majority of their team. You know, they'll be uh, in the dance with Buena Vista and Strasburg here as some of our main contenders moving forward for sure. Um, but with that being said, I think now is a perfect time to talk about our playoff picture here as, um, you know, Wiggins, that's, they got really only into the first round here, but um, here, okay. Here, here's how we could do this. So we all made brackets right before the playoffs started, right? And so we could talk about our picks as we go here. So let's let's talk about the first round. So the first round, uh, let me talk about all the picks, and then I'll throw it to y'all, and y'all can talk about who you picked and whatnot. We'll keep it quickly though, keep it going because we already did this um, in our you know playoff preview. But you know, in the first round, we had Lyman versus Bennett. Uh, number one versus 16th seed. Then the, the winner of that one would play North Fork versus Wiggins. And then we had Florence versus Monte Vista. The winner of that game would play the winner of Ray versus Highland. Then we had Centauri versus Payton. The winner would play the uh, winner of Strasburg versus Yuma. 
And then we had Miku versus Holyoke, an exciting playoff game, like you said, Cody. And the winner of that one will play the winner of Buena Vista versus Gunnison. Mason, I'm going to throw it to you, and I want you to, uh, you know, well, here. <laughs> I think I got to ask you this because I think this is probably one of the biggest points this season. But, uh, you know, what? Why, why did you choose Gunnison over Buena Vista in the first round? Yeah, so, you know, I looked into it, and I was still like, I guess I kind of knew to 1A football and everything, but, you know, I thought, you know, Gunnison had a good way that their defense would match up against this Buena Vista front. Obviously, that didn't work out how I thought it would, or, but, you know, but I, I had the, I had my hopes up for, you know, Gunnison, and I thought that they could get it done. I did have them in the next round, you know, losing to Holyoke, who I had beating Meeker, um, but, you know, at that point, I thought, you know, they could pull off this win against, you know, Buena Vista. Obviously, that didn't go as planned. But, yeah. <laughs> Mason, we were also talking off air, and you said um, one of the players did message you and say he appreciated your faith in them because um, they weren't getting a lot of that over back home in Gunnison, apparently. And that's when you said you realized you might have made a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 but hey, hey. That's, no, hey, as as a community, you got to do better, though, Colorado. I mean, even even if your team is running into a buzzsaw, you got to support them, man. I mean, come on. If they have to rely on, uh, rely on random media, basically, to them for a vote of confidence, what does that say about your community? Good Lord. Yeah, if we could throw any vote of confidence towards them, you know, like I'm glad I got to, you know, help them out in any way I could, you know, but yeah, I definitely did not, ex- I, I didn't think Buena Vista was going to pull it out, but you know, they buzz solved them. So, you know, there's always next season. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Um, I want to talk about my worst pick here. Because I think, I th- well, I, I don't know if it's the worst pick, but I, I think I picked Strasburg over Yuma. And I definitely said they had more athletes. Strasburg had more athletes than Yuma. And that was a big deal. You know, they only lost 35 to 20, obviously, without their starting quarterback. Uh, so not bad. But obviously, I want to put respect on Yuma because they have so many good players, including Clay Robinson out there. So I'm, I'm going to go ahead and own up to my worst uh, pick, at least on the 1A level here as well. Uh, Cody, did you have any picks of the first round you want to talk about? Before you say that, I do want to shout out. I don't remember exactly which player called it, but right after uh, Yuma beat Strasburg, they quoted Simon, posted on them, and said, uh, more athletes. I did think that was hilarious. It It was like five players, dude. It was It was pretty funny, honestly. You know, okay, as long as you're like, you know, I'd say, you know, it's a little rude, but I say it's still playful, you know, uh, as long as like, well, we're, we're wrong. That's part of our job is to be wrong sometimes. And so, you know, if you're going to have fun with it and we'll have fun with it and we're still all cool at the end of the day, like I know that those Yuma boys, you know, I have a lot of respect for them. I got to meet a lot of them after that Wiggins game, you know, and uh, I just also want to put out there that. 
you know, Clay Robinson, he had a great season and is probably going to be on one of our top five lists here in a couple of weeks. So stay tuned for that. And, you know, uh, you hear Trejo as well, you know, for Yuma. He won a Playmaker of the Week award when, you know, he helped Yuma pull off a tight win against Highland. So, you know, shout out to just that Yuma squad in general who eventually did fall. But let's see. My worst take here would probably be having Florence end up in the final four. Um, they they lost to Ray. And it's something that I was warned about, too, you know, and something that I kind of knew about where it's like, yeah, Florence, once they get into the postseason, they tend to struggle a little bit. But I was uh, I was kind of feeling it. And I almost I almost chose them to upset Lyman. And I'm glad that I didn't do that. Um, but I was drinking the Florence Kool-Aid just because they have a lot of great running backs over there. But uh, ultimately, you know, the historically, uh, it was proven right. And then also, you know, I did choose Wiggins to beat North Fork. North Fork did win against Wiggins uh, behind a very solid defense. They're one of the programs that we didn't really get to talk about too much throughout the year. But somebody who's, you know, at least low-key on our radar now heading into the future. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I picked Wiggins over North Fork as well. Proved me wrong, which was great, you know, but uh, no, for sure. So let's let's kind of keep this thing going here. Uh, so Meeker versus Holyoke, one of the best games of the entire season, uh, regardless of level, you know. Meeker did win 42-35 to there. Uh, Kelton Turner, you know, he went crazy in that game with like, oh, my God. He had like a pick six, a rushing touchdown, like 200 rushing yards. Like he played the game of his life in that game. And, you know, Holyoke, they responded really well, too. Obviously, putting up 35 points on Meeker, uh, well, really on any playoff team that is ranked above you, is kind of hard to do, you know, as they did have to go out to Meeker and do that. And so, much respect to them. Uh, going into the second round, though, you know, Centauri did eventually beat Yuma. I think we all predicted that. Ray beat Florence. I, um, I'm pretty sure I picked Ray over Florence in my OG brackets. I don't know about y'all. Did y'all? I want to ask y'all real quick. Did y'all pick Ray over Florence? Or when we were making predictions, did you pick Ray over Florence? No. no. Or I don't I know if during Florence. the episode I did, but I took Florence over Ray. Yeah, I took Florence over Ray. In the, in the bracket, at least. I did it oh. in the episode as well. I can guarantee you that. Well, then I could uh, revel in my single victory right there. Picking Ray over Florence. Uh, but, you know, on the other side, Lyman played North Fork. They beat them. Ray would go on to play Lyman. Uh, by the way, Ray, led by their freshman quarterback, our newcomer of the year, uh, winner, Casey Maycap. Unfortunately, they had to go run into that Lyman legacy over there and got bust on as they lost 42-8 to as Lyman would go to stay on the other side of the bracket. Um, I already mentioned Centauri beating Yuma. But we had Meeker versus Buena Vista. This was a double overtime game. Another extremely exciting game for Meeker here. Unfortunately, they came up just short as our guy Seth Boss uh, actually got an end zone interception to win that game for Buena Vista after a, I want to say it was a Hayden Camp rushing touchdown that would put them up. And so Buena Vista automatically wins a thriller. It has a lot of momentum going into this Centauri Buena Vista game. Now, in my original uh, playoff bracket, I had Centauri and Buena Vista and Lyman and Ray in my final four. That was correct 100% the way through. Um, but I picked Buena Vista to go to state instead of Centauri. 
So that was the one screw up I had there. Centauri would blow out Buena Vista 42 to 6 here. Uh, <laughs> boys, do, do y'all want to talk about that game? I mean, did anybody else pick? I think both of y'all picked Centauri to go to state after that close Buena Vista Meeker game. Um, not not based on your OG brackets, but like in real time, like that week, y'all picked Centauri to go on and go to state, I think. Is that correct? Yeah, but yeah. I also had not in the Centauri. OG. No, I had Centauri in my bracket going to state. Yeah, because you had Buena Vista losing in the first round to Gunnison. <laughs> yes, yep, yep. That's right. <laughs> I also had, I mean, it's I also still had correct, Centauri though. facing Holyoke, but okay. But, you know. Holyoke, honestly, Holyoke could have been there. I, I really believe that. Uh, you know, they barely lost to the greatest Kelton Turner performance of all time. So, you know, um, that's for sure. Also, talking about Ray real quick and that Lyman game in that semifinal matchup. Look, Casey Midcap's going to be fine. There were some receivers on that Ray team dropping some seriously questionable like passes to drop, you know, hitch routes and in routes and slants. They were dropping those. And I think that they if they can get over the mental block, like seeing Lyman lose, I think that's huge for Ray. And, you know, they have a pretty young squad over there. So I'd keep an eye out on those Ray Eagles because now that they see that Lyman who, you know, because I think part of facing Lyman in that league is that they're Lyman, you know. It's a get over the mental block first, and then maybe you can beat them. And a lot of teams just aren't prepared to get over that mental block initially. Uh, so maybe maybe a lot of things can change now that Lyman finally lost. Um, I don't know if we're talking about that yet. Yeah, let's, let's talk about it. So I did a recap on this game here. So I kind of want to pass it off to y'all more here, but... Obviously, Centauri did win this game 24-21. to 21. You know, they had a key field goal late in the game to do that. Of course, Trey Hines, the quarterback of Lyman, and somebody that we said would be really key to their, um, you know, chances of forpeating, did get hurt in the third quarter and would be out of the game. He made some great plays on defense and offense, scoring a touchdown and snagging an interception in that game. This game was extremely close. It definitely lived up to the hype. I want to pass it off to y'all and talk about um, this game here. Well, first off, I'm going to ask y'all a question, and then you could reply to it and you know talk about this game more. But if Trey Hines did not get hurt in this game, does Lyman win this game? Yes or no? Lyman four peats. That's just how. It, that's just how it you is. You want to explain? Go ahead and explain why you think so. Well, just the fact that they had the chance to win the game at the end. And, you know, they're going down and they're driving with, uh, is that a freshman quarterback or? I don't know. No, no it was Brady. It was their okay, wide receiver. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, and he didn't do a bad job at all. He definitely, you know, did as well as he possibly could for what they had. But no, uh, yeah, I definitely think that with the quarterback in the game, I don't think they lose. I think that he gets it done because he was driving on Centauri all day. You know, and he makes the right reads, right decisions, makes it, you know, tucks the ball and runs it. I'm not going to say he scores the touchdown himself, but, you know, he's definitely a huge part in them scoring that winning drive touchdown. Cody, do you agree? Well, here's the thing, you know, like you said, they're right there. And you know what I think really hurt Lyman on that final drive is not necessarily that Trey Hines was out, 
but just that Brady wasn't a receiving option. I mean, Brady was having a pretty spectacular day against a very formidable Centauri defense and secondary. And, you know, just Brady not being able to throw to himself is honestly really hurtful. If there was another way where they could have a quarterback that could deliver strikes to Brady and Leaper, who both proved to be receiving threats, then maybe it's a little bit different. But hard to say for sure. And uh, yeah, I think Brady not being a receiving option is the the most hurtful part about the Trey Hines injury because he did have to go and play quarterback. And you know what? He did a damn good job. Just want to put that out there. As I said early in the season, you know, in reference to a little bit earlier, Brady stepped up and could have been, you know, a championship QB this year. Very easily, I might add. You know, if they didn't get themselves into a hole on special teams, then, you know, they probably four-peat regardless of who who's in that quarterback. But, I mean, momentum was swinging like crazy in that game. Yeah, it Holy really crap. was. That's, I think, one of the craziest things was, you know, it was like Centauri lineman, Centauri lineman. The whole game, you couldn't tell who was going to, you know, come out victorious. Obviously, Centauri did in the end, but I think... You know, it could have went either way at any point. And I agree, he did great, but taking him out of being that receiving threat allowed them kind of to key in on Lieber. Exactly. So. All right. Well, there you go. Um, anything about Centaur here? I mean, Byron Shawcroft won MVP of this game. On our recap, we gave the crown to Baron Holman. Uh, for for MVP of that championship game. It could have gone to Mason Clonch as well. Like we said, I mean, this is a great time to kind of segue almost, but most valuable playmaker as voted by the fans and, you know, Anthony Garcia of Mile, um, Mile High Prep Report and, you know, us three hosts. Clonch won unanimous season most valuable playmaker. And it arguably wasn't even his best season. Uh, as far as you know being an offensive threat goes but he was a dog on defense he made some big plays and tackles baron holman made a clutch one-on-one tackle against jeremiah leaper which you know if i had to put money on on that play in vegas i probably wouldn't have chosen baron you know nine times out of ten but he delivered on that play and rightfully so won our most valuable playmaker you know i think shawcroft he was a solid quarterback for for them this year and you know he has flashes for sure as a qb but he doesn't really go through a whole lot of reads and so and i thought some of his incompletions were pretty lucky to be incompletions that game he easily probably could have thrown like two picks that game so that's where i was a little iffy on it was his decision decision making was inconsistent however he did kick the go-ahead field goal so as far as you know production and narrative and clutch goes i mean Shawcroft has ice in his veins. No, I definitely agree there. But I, I think, uh, you know, Mason Clonch played one heck of a game, man. You know, he was facing – he never came off the field to start, you know. He was on both sides of the ball when he did come off the field. It was for two seconds in between plays so he could maybe get a drink of water, you know. And, you know, he was basically shadowing Leaper the whole time. And still making plays, even when it wasn't two Lieber. So, I think they played one hell of a game. So, you know, props to them. They took down Lyman, and 
they showed the rest of the league, you know, over there at 1A that it's doable. And there you go. Centauri would win their first state championship game here um, ever. No, football state championship ever. So fast break Falcons. They have the fast break that. Falcons. Their offensive speed was kind of like they lived up to it, honestly. Yeah. They're running that hurry up. I was honestly the Centauri offense is what the Valor offense thought that it was. Um you know, Amen. watching them in the state championship oh, no. and then watching Valor, you know, they came out and they ran, they went three and out in under 15 seconds, which is impressive, of course, but not for the reasons you'd want it to be. Uh, first is Atari, who got, you know, who got first downs pretty religiously. Um, but uh, congratulations to Atari. You know, we made that graphic for them. And, uh, you know, I was just glad that it was a great football game. That's what I wanted out of all the state championship games and all but one delivered, which we'll talk on later. But uh, with that being said, is it, it or Simon, are we going to talk about the all state teams in this episode as well or no? No, no, no. That's a live stream idea. Yeah. Okay, perfect. perfect. Yeah. Uh, subscribe Anyways. to Playmakers Corner on Twitch. But Yes, um, yes, absolutely. That way we can keep this part in. But, uh, yeah. well, you know, as far was. as 1A goes, it was uh, it was a fun season. And you know what? I, I love covering 1A. I really do. All of the players are so polite. You know, they'll have conversations with us if they disagree with us. You know, they'll be like, hey, I was thinking this. Or, you know. Uh, more athletes come on don't write us off you met us you know you've seen us play live what are you doing that for you know i think that everyone there is really reasonable and you know i'm a big fan of 1a football i am so looking forward to covering it more in the future and doing the awards was a lot of fun too you know it was fun interacting with a denver bronco you know as far as our 1a offensive playmaker and defensive playmaker awards go so congrats to cole current rusher respectively you know, Simon mentioned Casey Midcap and Ray. They're here to stay. Hey, hey, I like that. Casey Midcap and Ray, they're here to stay. Uh, keep that keep that in your notes, listeners. And obviously, you know, Mason Clanches, Fast Break Falcons winning the championship. In a pretty senior heavy, uh, you know, year for a lot of these heavyweights. Like Simon mentioned, it could be really interesting next year. So... Oh, yeah. A lot of the teams that we predicted as contenders, you know, as, you know, predicted to win state, you know, there were teams that were here before, you know, right there in the semis or in state in these last four years against the linemen. And so this next year has the potential of having a lot of new faces in the mix here, which will be super exciting. But we'll save that for our previews. You know, uh, tune into those whenever they drop during the summer, because they will probably earlier on, too, so we could talk about more teams. Um, Mason, is there anything else you want to talk about here about 1A football? And this um, I, I guess all I want to say is, you know, 1A surprised me, you know, coming in and looking at everything. I didn't think 1A was going to be as exciting as it actually is, you know. They got some dogs over there in 1A, and I'm excited to see, you know, what comes next for all of 1A. All right. There you go. And uh, I do – here, go ahead, Cody. If you want to learn more about 1A football, because you're one of those people who's like, oh, it's 1A, you know, there's not a lot of talent there. No, no, no. There's plenty of talent here. Guys are making our top five lists. Guys are winning Playmaker of the Week. 
They're putting up insane numbers for a different number of programs. There's some big boys on the 1A level. They got them They got them corn-fed offensive linemen in a lot of these places who will push around anybody 1 through 7A anywhere in the U.S. So, you know, put some respect on their name. And then go ahead and listen to some of our 1A interviews. You know, episode 53, Miles Sprague. He's a guy who's at least going to go D2, you know, as an athlete. And, you know, he was one of our top five senior linebackers. So go ahead and listen to that episode. Go ahead and listen to episode 54. That's the Hayden Camp interview talking about Buena Vista. And then go ahead and listen to episode 55. That is the Landon Martin and Matthias Brown interviews. That way, you know, I mean, we talk a little bit of preview, but mainly we're talking 1A culture. And it's must listen to content. We're going to probably we're going to get an interview with Mason Clonch at some point. He's a multiple sport athlete, so he's super busy right now, but we're going to get that out for you guys. Uh, most valuable playmaker. We have interviews with Pepper Rusher and Cole Kerr coming up sometime. And you know, those Lyman boys, we're going to talk about the Lyman legacy too. So stay tuned for all of that content. Um, Simon, I'll toss it to you to say what you need to say and uh, take us into the next segment. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, this is kind of it. For 1A football into next year and it definitely makes me sad because I love covering 1A man I mean the energy that Centauri and Lyman brought into that state championship game is almost unmatched you know for small towns to bring that many people over to Pueblo for a state championship game that's wild I absolutely love it I think this is probably the purest form of football here in Colorado potentially on this 1A level and you know like Cody said all these kids are so polite, man. I never really had a negative interaction with, you know, these guys. I mean, you know, the Yuma guys, like, hey, I understand. Like, even when they were, like, talking that stuff, one of the guys was like, hey, I hope you know it's not personal. And, yeah, bro, I know it's not personal. And uh, I appreciate that, though, because, you know, I think that goes a long way, being polite. And, you know, being polite to the media as well, because we want to get a lot of you guys off to college as well, playing next level ball, because you can play next level ball and because you are that talented, you know. Um, it's not just a one-year deal like, oh, Mason Quanch is better than Sawchuck this one year. That's never going to happen. No, I think that's a good precedent to, uh, you know, go ahead and establish right now because it could happen a lot more. People just want to talk about the stars and whatnot. And you know what? I'd rather have a likable, good person and player to support than, you know, a community that nobody likes. Highlands Ranch, Valor Christian. Nobody does. That's just facts. And so, uh, shout out to 1A. I'm going to miss it, you know, but this next year is going to be super exciting. Um, and, yeah, we're going to have interviews with a lot of these guys. But uh, until then, you know, 1A football, thank you for listening. And we'll catch you next season for sure. So, yeah, but coming up next, we are going to go ahead and talk about two-way here, talk about predictions, do the whole thing um, in our season in review episode. What's good, y'all? Welcome back to the Playmakers Corner Podcast. This is our season in review episode. We're talking all the storylines, preseason predictions, predictions, all that great stuff that we made. So let's go ahead and hop into two-way this 2021 season here. Um, let me go ahead and start with the contenders here. Before we talked about, before we talk about the team that we all predicted as the 2021 two-way state champion. Uh, back in August here. So I want to talk about the contenders before we get there because we also all agreed on that. But you know what? I'm going to actually start with a um, team that played in the spring. 
<laughs> and they actually won it all last spring as well. And that was Rifle. Rifle was a team that we identified as a contender. We said, we, and basically we were high on Rifle because of Todd Casebeer, how they were coming off a championship dub. They were returning basically all the same starters, including Trey Caldwell, Toto Fletcher, um, their quarterback and running back, respectively. And then, you know, we were looking at them taking steps forward between these two, and we were excited about a full offseason with Casebeer with Kesebeer and their chances of defending their title because they were, you know, bringing back a lot of these guys. Um, we also looked at their line as being one of the most important units for the squad and the biggest reason why is they why they were able to win state last year, just physically dominating every team they played, including TCA in that state championship game. Um, but we were concerned about some of the teams on their schedule like Palisade, Glenwood Springs, Basalt, and Rifle. And then... <laughs> And then I have it written here that, uh, you know, Rifle kind of ran the Liam Hughes playbook. You know, run, 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 punt, run, 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 run punt, run, 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 punt, run, run, touchdown! Yeah, touchdown, touchdown, touchdown! Like, you know, they kind of just wear you down physically. Now, before we get into their schedule, uh, we didn't know this when we were recording. I don't know how I missed it. Maybe it just wasn't common knowledge that, or there weren't any reports out yet. But Casebeer definitely left for Durango after that, after he won the chip in Rifle. So he coached, you know, Castleview in the fall of 2020, coached Rifle in the spring of 2021, won a chip with them, and then left and coached Durango this last fall and so that basically changes everything because he's a heck of a coach you know his Durango kids talk highly of him his Castleview kids talk highly of him and so to lose a coach like that that's a big deal here and so I'm just going to talk about the record real quick did go three and six I mean they lost Palisade Glenwood Springs um and Basalt and Delta teams that we were all kind of nervous about here and, you know, that's understandable. That Basalt game was close. They only lost 29-28 to 28 in overtime. But the rest of these, well, Glenwood Springs game, that was close as well. They only lost 13-7. But against Palisade, they got knocked around 35-3. to Against Delta, uh, with their freshman quarterback, you know, they got knocked around 35-7. to I mean, here, I'm going to kind of open the door here. Cody or Mason, do you want to talk about that? I feel like... That's not a fair prediction to make because we didn't know that their head coach was leaving for the third time in a in a year. Yeah, that's kind of unprecedented uh, in general. But I mean, all of these teams that they face would go on to play in the playoffs, other than Glenwood Springs, who is a three A team, by the way. Anyway, so you know, it's it's understandable for them to kind of slide back. You know. Yeah, I'd say their coach leaving is something we couldn't predict. And, you know, it's kind of not the best for them. And it kind of set them back. But, you know, we'll see where they're at next year. For sure. So let's keep it going here. Um, you know, we're going in order of bad takes because they happen. You know, sometimes we're wrong. Now, we might have misranked that one. But, but Simon, you mind if I talk about my really bad take here? You know what? Yeah, I'll give you the go ahead. And then I'm I'll gonna throw myself into the fire. On yeah, this go one. for it. Go for it. Because in the preseason, I thought Sterling was going to be a playoff team, borderline contender. 
you know, I, I liked their performance from the 2020 season and whatnot. And, you know, they, they lost the majority of their line and, you know, some of their top tacklers. However, they still had Radic McCracken and they still had Jackson Keel playing for them. Two guys who had a great rapport. Uh, Jackson being an offensive threat who is a dog, you know. Uh, Radic, he didn't even throw an interception in the COVID season. So I was like, okay, like, we're looking at an efficient quarterback. We're looking at a dynamic athlete, and we're looking at a you know physical football team. They stunk. Uh, there's no other way to put it. I'm not sure what their total win total was, but I knew that my prediction was wrong when Simon and I drove up to Eaton, Colorado, to watch Eaton and Sterling's opening game against each other. And we left at halftime because it was that bad. Um, that was my worst take of the entire preseason. Before halftime. Before halftime. Oh, we left before. Oh, yeah, because we wanted to go. Game. We wanted to go hit trivia night. Uh, shout out to Athena and uh, yeah. Robas. But anyways, um, <laughs> it was. I realized. Yep, that take goes down the drain. And uh, yeah, that was probably the earliest take that I've ever given up on. And. Uh, yeah, uh, Jackson, he's playing basketball instead, I believe, and uh, didn't want to risk getting her playing football. But I don't know how good they would have been with Jackson after seeing that game against Eaton. Yeah, um, I'm going to start a quote that I put out there, but I did say we will see what kind of team they are after their first two games uh, because they played Resurrection Christian and Eden to start the season. And also got slaughtered by Rez. Yes. Um, let me see here. Cody, you said obviously they should for sure make the playoffs to beat the best. To be the best, they got to beat the best is what you said. And then, you know, they allowed, well, they lost by a combined, shoot, what is this? 109 to 0 in their first two games. 42 to 0 against Rez. That was a away game. They lost 63 to 0 against Eden on my birthday by the way shout out to my Eden boys I know uh they wanted to make a statement for me out there but they matched actually Rez's point total by the eight minute mark in the second quarter so <laughs> and then you know dropped 21 more points with their freshmen it might so, be the worst take I'll ever have in in this career in um, in your defense maybe Jackson Keel uh wait sorry Jackson Keel yeah Jackson Keel was gonna be that big of a difference because maybe if he had a weapon they could kind of focus on and could get it out to him that'd be great also i mean mccracken didn't have as great a rapport as with his other receivers that was obvious and because of that he did actually have a lot of injury issues this season so i hope he's doing better um you know i know he had to take a couple games off was playing with some injuries because i mean he really didn't have a choice it was also his senior year but that's just a very very unfortunate um, Mason, what do you think about this? I think it's hilarious that Cody threw himself under the bus. Um, but, you know, I like the honesty. And, yeah, uh, that was a pretty rough pick. That, you know, I didn't know much. Again, I didn't know much about 1A or 2A at this point. So listening to it, I was like, oh, okay, I could see it. And then hearing Cody... You know, over the group chat and everything being like, God, I was so wrong. So, yeah, no, I think I think at the end of the day, you know, live and learn on some picks. But, you know, they could have been a difference maker. 
Yeah, and also they still had a pretty tough schedule. I mean, they didn't score a touchdown until October in their first win against Wild Central. Other than that, they were outscored by 200-plus points to zero uh, in their first didn't, four games. Didn't they face the eventual um, one of the – didn't they face both teams that were in the 2A state championship? Well, they forfeited against Brush. So, yeah, that's unfortunate. Brush was still on their schedule. I feel like I remember talking about Brush very briefly. Yeah, uh, they were. We'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. Um, but let's keep this thing pushing, though. Uh, so there you go. Those are our bad takes for two-way. You know, one of them, we just weren't informed about the coaching change. The other one, I mean, I didn't think them losing Jackson kid would be that big of a deal, but maybe we also overrated them uh, kind of a lot. I mean, you know, and well, I wasn't wrong. I said we know what kind of team they were after two games. So And we knew that they were we that, knew what kind of team not that they guy. were. They're not yeah. that guy. And that's okay. They'll they're sterling. They'll they'll bounce back eventually. This just wasn't it wasn't that year that they would bounce back. But anyways, let's go ahead and move on. Uh we labeled Basalt as a contender here, which was a pretty solid pick. I mean, we were concerned about their loss of their all state quarterback. And one of their best athletes, but we believe that they could, you know, eventually figure it out. Of, figure it out at quarterback with the likes of athletes Gavin Re- Gavin Webb, the running back, Trevin Beckman, their athlete Ryan Garcia. He was the last year's interception leader. I think he was um, he was up there this year as well. And then Sam Sherry, who was um, just a beast of an Sam athlete. Sam Sherry. Yep, especially on defense. All those guys who are returning. And so, you know, all, they were losing their quarterback and one of their best athletes, but they still were pretty stacked. Um, we were concerned about games against Moffitt County, Delta, Rifle, uh, Aspen. I think, I don't know if me or you, Cody, threw that in there, but Aspen was one of those teams. And then, Cody, you, you did say if they could come out of the stretch out here. Let me pull up the stretch real quick. Real quick. But we were talking about a stretch of games, but you said if they could come out of the stretch undefeated, then they can make a legitimate championship run. And then you also mentioned you were concerned about their matchup against uh, Glenwood Springs. I believe you were talking about um, – well, actually, yeah. Oh, yeah, you were talking about uh, the end here with Delta, Rifle, Aspen, and Rush, I think. That, that stretch, maybe. Or maybe it was the Glenwood Springs, Moffitt County stretch. I could be wrong. I don't know, but you said if uh, they could get out of it undefeated, then you know they'd be legitimate contenders. I mean, not bad. Still finish the season. What either one of those two. stretches you look at, they lost a game, and yeah. uh, that that proved to be an indication. Yeah, yeah, basically. Um, but you know they didn't have a bad season. One seven and three in total. You know, um, big dubs against Woodland Park. Um, big one against Battle Mountain. They won in double overtime. That's a three A school. Beat Faith Christian, beat Glenwood Springs, lost to Moffat County, which we did sleep a little bit on, but we'll talk about that later. Only nineteen to six though. Um, then, then lost to Delta forty-two to fourteen. Beat Rifle in overtime twenty-nine to twenty-eight. That was a big matchup we were talking about. Um, beat Aspen forty-nine to twenty-one before they made playoffs. Cody or Mason, anything you want to comment on there? No. Nope. About this basalt team. Um, Sam Sherry did win Playmaker of the Week uh, during Week 3. Sam Sherry is who he thought he was. I'll say that much. And, uh, you know, I said that they played 
I, I said that they were a solid they're a solid program and ones to probably keep an eye out for who will at least compete on a year to year basis. No, I think that's a fair take. Go ahead. That's definitely a fair take, Cody. I'm I'm gonna agree with what you just said. So I don't have anything else to add. All right, fair enough. Uh, for the record, they did find a quarterback in Cade Schneider, a junior, who so he will be returning next year at 1,380 passing yards, 19 passing touchdowns, five interceptions, so very efficient there. Um, their lead rusher was actually a junior as well, so he'll be returning in, well, okay, it's not loading, but in Crawford, he was the lead rusher with 686 rushing yards and nine rushing touchdowns, so leader in both rushing yards and touchdowns. Gavin Webb and Sam Sherry and Travis Beckman all contributed there as well. Sam Sherry was their lead receiver this year, so there you go. And then on defense, um, <laughs> Trevin Beckman was their lead tackler with Sam Sherry right behind them. Uh, Trevin Beckman, a junior, by the way, um, he got 97 total tackles. So Basalt, you know, they're, they're not going to go away so easily here. But let's keep this thing going here. Uh, speaking of contenders, we're kind of getting into the meat of this. Uh, let's talk Resurrection Christian, man. So, here, I <laughs> I got to throw this out there. I didn't know that their starting senior quarterback, Will Schrodenborg, was leaving the state for Texas. By the way, he went to Texas. I think he won a playoff game out there as well, at least one or two. So, congrats to him and whatnot. But that was a pretty big deal. A lot of why I was... I personally was trying to sell Resurrection Christian as, you know, an, an elite contender out here was because they would have, you know, Will Schrodenborg, Eddie Lemos, and Kate Dunlap, and that would be their big three, with Eddie Lemos playing receiver, Kate Dunlap playing running back, obviously. Um, and so going into the preseason, you know, I did, we did talk about how they came one game short of state and lost to the state champs the last two years. And... Um, you know, I said this was their year. They would be a team of destiny. We were concerned about them losing their entire linebacking core. And, oh, my God. Their entire linebacking core, including Tanner Appleby, who also played running back. But I did say that this year, Rez will need to rely on their offense to be explosive because it could be one of the most dangerous offenses led by that big three there. We talked about Eddie Lemos as a potential two-way MVP candidate, which he was. Um, we were concerned you know, briefly about Sterling and then Holy Family and Eden were the other two teams. Cody, you were quoted as saying, if they finish the same way in the playoffs, then that's their reputation now. We also mentioned how it might be a coaching problem, or you mentioned that. And then I said, you know, um, word for word, they can make a lot of noise right out the gate, and then they could ride that momentum throughout the season, which is basically exactly what they did but before i talk about their schedule here uh cody do you want to talk about um talk about the regular season first because we will get into playoffs and then mason you could go as well well i do want to shout out you know rez here and the fact that they adjusted to will leaving very well uh you know for a team to go to from a regular offense to a wildcat offense it's a huge leap of faith in your players, your physicality, and your coaching, you know, and we saw that on the 4A level with Chatfield workout, and we saw it here in the regular season workout as well. 
with Resurrection Christian here. You know, I give them huge props for coaching their butts off and succeeding in turning Eddie Lemos into a 2A MVP candidate as a Wildcat quarterback and just using that raw athleticism and playing a great defensive game. I mean, they didn't allow any points through the first two weeks. And, you know, then they beat a... And I and one of those is Thompson Valley. I'm pretty sure they're a 3A squad. Holy Family's a 3A squad, and they beat them, you know. And then they barely lost to Eaton by only four points. So, you know, I say I chalk their regular season up as a massive success and a great reflection on their adaptability of coaching. But, uh, you know, we'll talk about the playoffs here in a second. Mason, you have anything else to add on to uh, Rez Christian here? I just want to say that their defense played exceptional this year, putting up the first two games, they didn't let up any points. And, you know, their defense played really well. Then, you know, they faced Holy Family, let up 20. And then, you know, after that, they put up another, you know, goose egg. So, you know, their defense played exceptional. But, yeah, we'll talk about the, you know, playoffs in a second. Not going to lie, I was thinking about taking them off as a contender early on. But, you know, I chose to have faith in them. Because uh, I think they had a lot of athletes over there. It would be significantly harder. And um, my opinion on whether they could actually win state went down significantly. But, you know, they, they showed out. Like I said, I mean, they, they were on a tear early on here. Just blasting Sterling 42-0. Beating Thompson Valley of 318-40-0. Beating Holy Family of 318-35-20. Beating a league team in Berthold uh, 45-0. Lost a close one to Eden 10-6. Even when Eddie Lemos won out for the entire second half because he did have a lingering ankle injury that unfortunately um, would never really go away because he just, I mean, you know, they had to play him because he's the star on offense and defense, you know, and I'm sure that's a decision that we could reflect on here soon, and I'm sure that he is reflecting on right now. And so after that Eden game, he was never really the same here. Played a tough severance team, um, only played offense against them, beat them, you know, barely 24 to 14. Then played the academy, kind of got back on track, being that 43-13. Beat University, surprisingly, 41 to 14. That's a game that came off as a little bit of a fluke game for for both sides. And then finally, uh, <laughs> destroyed the Hunter 56 to 15. And so that was Rez's season, even when they lost their quarterback. You know, they found a way to make it work in. You know, even when they lost the that quarterback, you know, they continued to kind of manage his minutes there and get it going from there. But let's keep it going. Going to talk about our last mutual contender here, a team that we both felt like was going to be a contender this season to either make it to state or win it, and that is TCA, the Classical Academy. I'm just going to go down the line and just read my notes here, and then I'll throw it to you all. But like I said, mutual contender, we said Kate Palmer was for sure going to be the workhorse of this team and, you know, be kind of somebody in that MVP race, which he was. We were excited about their quarterback guys, um, Sam, um, the running back, Ethan Aragundi, Matt Segovia, who played receiver and was also an All-State DB, like receiver Jake Jennings, Josh Schneider, the lead tackler from last year, was returning. Um, all four of their running backs in the backfield from last year was returning as well. 
The only real weakness and concern about this TCA squad uh, roster-wise was the loss of three All-State linemen and two of their top three tacklers. Cody, you did say if they figure out how to split carries better, then maybe they can make another run. And then I said, um, I said that they should call screen routes for Segovia, get him the ball more so that he can create because he's a playmaker. I think, you know, um, the combination of Segovia and Palmer would be too much for a lot of teams. And so if they really get them both touches, then, you know, they could be unstoppable. I also said that Sam could be a deadly quarterback prospect, but I'm worried about them because he missed way too many throws like screens, checkdowns, plus multiple deep shots, open deep shots in that state championship game. And so I said, he's the key to not only going back to state, but winning it all. If he takes a step forward and if TCA allows him to pass the ball more this season, that's what I said. Then Cody, you said he needs to get mentally tougher because they didn't have any adversity last year until state. A um, couple of teams who were concerned about, but ultimately didn't really matter because they beat them was Alamosum. Harrison, I was more concerned about Harrison than anything, uh, but Harrison was also losing. Kahar Briggs didn't play that entire game, and um, their starting defensive end didn't play that entire game either, so take what you want with that. Um, and then Lamar, Pagosa Springs, ran two Springs for some teams that we were concerned about, blew them all out, so it didn't matter. And then I said, I was quoted of saying, TCA has a culture of choking games that matters most and not being able to respond to challenges. Not the pick to win state because of questions of mental toughness. I've said my share about TCA. I've had my arguments in my own DMs. So shout out to you lovely parents out there and adults that think you know more than me. Uh, but Cody and Mason, what do you think about what was said here as far as the regular season went? By the way, TCA, they blew out every single team in the regular season. Um, were an obvious, I mean, look, they, they went 9-0. Only played nine games, which was interesting. They had a lot of breaks here, too. I'm not going to lie. Like, there were multiple weeks that they had off here in the regular season. So, um, not just because they were playing bad or, you know, teams that weren't as good. But, you know, they literally didn't have a game. So, uh, Cody or Mason, you want to talk about TCA here real quick? Yeah, so um, I definitely uh, – I don't know. Yeah, I could definitely see that they didn't play a very tough schedule. All year, you know, yeah, they blew him out. And, like, against Lamar, they won 70-13. to 13. Like, yeah, that's an insane score. And if you want to talk about, yeah, we blew out everybody in playoffs until you faced a real team in the playoffs. But, you know, um, I've I seen over the whole season, you know, we talked about them a bunch and all the stuff that they did. And I just don't think they played a very tough schedule at all. And I think it really showed once playoff come, which we'll talk about here in a sec. But, you know, I think that was the biggest problem for me. Cody, what do you think? I think they did a great job of uh, lightening Cade's workload. He was super fresh heading into the playoffs with only 123 carries. The next guy had 63, you know, in uh, Eric Gundy, I believe is how you say that. And, you know, he had eight touchdowns. He was having a pretty solid season. I mean, it was no 12 and a half yards per carry, but by golly, 6.7 is not too shabby. 
you know, and uh, Segovia, he did his thing. You know, I think that they should have got him the ball in space more like Simon recommended because on only 19 receptions, he did have six touchdowns and 300 yards, which is pretty absurd. And not to mention just his overall ability as a playmaker. You know, he kick returns, he punt returns. He had over a thousand yards of scrimmage and he was the only guy not named Cade Palmer who did achieve such a thing. But at the end of the day, same old TCA is is what I got to say about that. I wouldn't say that, you know, they did face that uh, Southwestern Conference and they got like some mild tests against playoff teams. But, uh, you know, they did have that second week against Harrison. Simon was really worried about it. And speaking of interesting takes there, uh, you know, Simon had me convinced that uh, Harrison here was the golden goose here of, uh, well, I guess that that'll come back later but anyways um you know it, it that turned out to be a little bit easier of a game because of like injuries and stuff going on with harrison and uh overall you know tca doesn't get tested and then it bites him in the butt because they don't face any adversity but we'll talk uh, about that in the playoffs so let's keep it going here yeah um if we're all good there now the team that we all picked to win state and mason i'm sure if you were to look at this again you would have probably picked this team as well was Eden, the defending state champs. You know, we had some minor concerns about them losing Tanner True, uh, their starting quarterback, Scott Grable, and then some backup skill players. Other than that, we're excited about this team. And this is all the guys that – so this list of names were all the guys that we mentioned. But we're excited about this team, led by Morgan Trebet, Ryan Dirksen, Lucas Cass. Um, by the way, we met those guys. Uh, well, Lucas Cass, at least. Uh, Broken Bar, my boy. Ryder True, another one of my boys, Cam Shaw, the Lawrence brothers, both guys. Um, we actually got to meet who are like huge at like six foot plus 270. And then Dirk Duncan. And so we said, you know, that defense was going to be a monster this year and a handful. They were losing Tanner True, who was a monster up the middle and was one of the best defensive tackles in the state uh, when he played. But, you know, we were pretty confident that they could make up a lot of that uh, because they just had a very complete defense um we were excited also for ethan flores who would also play uh defense as well we kind of looked at him and was like okay you know until they find their offensive identity they're gonna run the ball with flores a lot probably get morgan trebet some carries here as well we were concerned about sterling um you know we, we've talked about that we don't need to talk about that more Platte Valley, who I said would be a trap game because they were a trap game last year. Uh, the Academy and Rez talked about how, you know, there's definitely room for overconfidence. And I said, uh, well, I said this. I said Eden needs to prove a point and hammer everybody and play the Eden way every single quarter um, throughout this whole regular season and so that there's no overconfidence. I said they need to hammer everyone and they can't be too... Uh, they can't be too lax. Cody, you said something similar. You said, you know, Eden has to play with a lot of confidence, uh, you know, with the mindset and ability that, look, you know, we're the defending champs. You got to try and come here and take it away from us. Until then, we run this state and we run two-way. And so that was the vibe with Eden. Let's talk about the regular season here because uh, uh, with Eden, at least, because it was very, very – um predictable at least according to us 
uh, Cody or Mason. Mason, actually, do you want to go? Since Cody talked about them against Sterling and we did that whole thing. You want to talk about Eden real quick, Mason? Yeah, I want to say defense wins championships. And God, their defense is insane. Um, all season, you know, first one against Sterling, 63 nothing, 31 to 7, 32 to nothing, 50 to 7, 42 to 6, 10 to 6, you know. Which obviously against Resurrection Christian winning ten to six, their defense is the reason they won that game. You know. But then like University was probably their closest game. Like and most points scored on them in the regular season. Twenty seven to twenty, they still won. Severance thirty one nothing. Uh Barth did uh thirty eight seven. Kent Denver forty five to six. Like I don't, I don't know how it's to put it other than defense wins championships, and it showed here because their defense is that good. And, well, obviously their offense puts up mad points, but, like, you know, on the games that their offense wasn't able to put up that, like, mad points, Resurrection Christian, uh, I guess that's really the only one. They didn't put up more than, like, 20. But, you know, I guess University as well, 27, their defense kept them in the game. So defense wins championships, and they are the epiphany of it in the 2A level. By the way, and we'll talk about university here soon. But by the way, in that university game, they didn't have Morgan Trebet. In that Kent Denver game, they didn't have Ethan Flores. They chose to sat to to see uh, basically to bench both of those guys so that they could recover from their injuries and what? Well, not injuries, but just stay fresh. So uh, just keep that in mind. That right there just shows smart coaching. Oh yeah, and then against Severance, they had like six goal line stands. That's um. That well, that defensive line over there is almost unmatched on any level in all of Colorado. Yeah. Mason, you're our offensive defensive line coach. Is it fair to say that this Eden defense, uh, defensive line, will go down as one of the greatest defensive lines and defenses of all time, at least on this level? On the 2A level, no doubt. But I think this defensive line... Just them alone, if you put them on any 5A team, they would shut down almost any squad on the 5A level. They just play oh. and are dogs. That's just what it is. They are insane. You know, they're kind of like that Arapaho High School this year, man. Like, they just didn't have, you know, the name brand players because they're 2A, which shout out to 2A for, you know, still making dogs. But, you know, they didn't have the name brand players like, uh, you know, Jared Ramos and Jackson Adams, but... God, they are scary good. So I would, I would honestly, I would have loved to see them go face, you know, a five A offensive line and see how this five A offensive line was even able to handle it. Fair enough, Cody. You want to talk about Eden here, whether it's their defense or their offense or whatever uh, this regular season? Let's just talk playoffs. Okay, we could get into that, uh, but before we do. Um, I do want to give a quick shout out to Walker Martin, definitely a player that emerged for Eden as a quarterback, gave them a whole new, um, I guess, dimension to their offense. Eden's not usually a passing team like that, but Walker Martin, um, first off, he doesn't even really play football like that. He's a baseball player. That is one of the top baseball players, though, but he is a baseball player committed to Arkansas right now, so he really just be playing for fun. Which is wild, but definitely added a very interesting dimension to that Eden offense. But before we talk playoffs, I'm going to mention these teams here that we talked about. Um, we talked about Platte Valley while we were talking about Sterling, said they can have a sneaky good season and upset some teams, but may finish right outside the playoffs. 
check. That exactly happened. They did upset some teams, but unfortunately just finished outside the playoffs. Um, talked to Manitou Springs a little bit here. We didn't know that Caleb Allen, the quarterback, tore his ACL and so would be out for that entire season. And so, you know, whatever predictions we made there, that happened. But we did talk about them and mention them. Uh, by the way, their rival, St. Mary's, uh, shut down their football program completely, which is interesting because they have all of their other sports going on. But that's something to keep in mind. Uh, Cody, you actually mentioned Rush when talking about Sterling, said they were returning a lot of players and that they could pose a significant threat to Sterling. Now, you were only talking about Sterling, but that would actually end up being true well, for a lot of teams. Well, that would... When I held Sterling in a high regard, that then implies yeah. anything that would fit under the umbrella of Sterling. So while the Sterling take was wrong, Rush came to play. That's fair. So, so there we go. we'll talk about Rush here. But, well, I was, yeah. just, was just going to jump into... You know, speaking of when oh, Rush I, made noise, I got I got one more. Here. You got one more. Oh, God dang! <laughs> and then early on in the season, we did mention university. Um, it, it was while we were talking about Eden's schedule. I wrongly said that they should easily be like, Eden should easily beat university, but did do a deeper dive on university near the uh, beginning of the season after the first two weeks, and I changed my narrative straight up. And I said that they would be a dark horse team led by Greg Garza with the receivers, Tate Chacon, Logan Getting, Kanan Padilla, J.J. Virgil, like all those guys over there. I was very high on them after their first two games. And, you know, they proved me right as they would go on and give Eden their biggest scare um, on that Thursday night, which sucked because it was Thursday night, but felt like a Friday night game where they only lost 27 to 20. All season, and this includes the playoffs, they were the only team to have a lead over Eden in the fourth quarter. That's important to keep in mind uh, because after that, I mean, you know, university, they would lose to Eden there. Uh, but, you know, they would uh, play a lot of teams and give a lot of teams a run. They would be Bertolt 37-25. Did lose that weird one against Rez 41 to 14 it happened you know um also lost to severance 34 to 13 it happened but they would make a nice little playoff run which we'll talk about later and then lastly here actually uh we did talk about severance briefly cody you were more down on severance you said they weren't gonna do anything basically and then i said I don't know. We'll see. You know, they're a young program. They're a third-year program going into their third year. And I said uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they were able to make some noise here. But, you know, let's go ahead and hop into the playoffs uh, because there was uh, – that way we could talk about more of these teams in depth here. So I have the playoff brackets pulled up. Going to go over them one more time in the first round. We had Eden versus Kent Denver. The winner would play the winner of Bayfield versus Elizabeth. And then we had Delta versus Alabosa. The winner would play the winner of Moffat County versus University. Then on the other side of the bracket, we had Rez versus La Junta. Um, the winner of that one would play Brush versus Basalt. And then we had Severance versus Platte Valley. Oh, so they did make the playoffs, but they were kind of on that edge there. Um, but they would play the winner of Northfield TCA. Now... How do you want to go about this? I don't, I'm looking at my bracket right now in this first round. On the Eden side, 
I had it completely right, basically all the way through, except I had Bayfield beating Elizabeth. They only lost to them 17 to zero. Uh, did their quarterback throw like six interceptions or something like that in that game, Cody? It was rough. <laughs> so that means yes. So that's the only one I didn't get right. Um, and then I think I actually picked Basalt to beat Brush, you know, but Brush would win 43 to 23 to begin their little Cinderella, uh, you know, their little Cinderella uh, run here. And so that was another one I got wrong there. Other than that, predicted Severance beat Platte Valley. Severance had, in my opinion, the number two defense in the state. You know, that was obvious as the season went on. Even when they lost that 31-0 game against Eden. And then we all picked TCA to beat Northfield, I'm pretty sure. Boys, was there anything in the first round that uh, y'all might have mispicked here? No, I picked Bayfield to beat Elizabeth. But other than that, I was pretty spot on. My bracket was rough. I'm not even gonna lie. Um, you know, I took I took Bayfield over Elizabeth. Uh, I took Moffat County over University. And I took Basalt over Brush. And uh, yeah, you know, then then following that, I took Moffat County to the Final Four. And if he didn't, if they didn't even make it past the first one, that was incorrect. And uh, yeah, you know, that part of my bracket was pretty screwy. And, you know, I, as well as I'm pretty sure everyone else here, was very guilty of underestimating Brush. Um, yes. Mind if I just kind of talk about Brush's season and then uh, this, like, uh, surprising postseason real quick, Simon? Yeah, uh, don't mention the state game just yet. But yeah, oh, yeah, of course, no. So, okay, Brush, you know, as Simon briefly mentioned, they had a lot of returning guys. And they're a team that we couldn't really keep track of during the regular season because they didn't upload their stats until the very end. But, you know, they did have, you know, Maltos Garcia at quarterback. He was a senior. He's mainly a baseball player, but, you know, he was able to throw some touchdowns this year. But mainly their senior running back, number 28, I believe it's um, Cesar uh, Hinojos, I want to say is how you say it. And, uh, you know, he kind of popped off this year. And, you know, that kind of, you know, they, they basically ran a wing tee uh, and it worked. You know, I, I hate the wing tee, but it worked. You know, uh, Hinojos ran for 14 scores. Uh, Junior and Griffith ran for nine. And Maltos Garcia, he's an incredible athlete. You know, not like the greatest quarterback, but a guy who won a lot of games under center for brush throwing for or rushing for another eight touchdowns on top of his 16 throwing touchdowns. And as far as their schedule goes, you know, they destroyed a three, a team in George Washington high school who has some ballers there. You know, they destroyed them 41, 13. Then they lost to eventual three, a state champs Fort Morgan. So their first two games of the year were three, a matchups, which I think was excellent preparation for how tough their schedule is going to be for the rest of the year and you know they did lose to fort morgan 35 to 12 but i think i think that's a game you could be pretty proud of as a 2a program i really do uh being with the level of success fort morgan experience they then lost to severance 20 to 7 you know so now they're in a one-two hole maybe not feeling a vibe too much but then they get a great bounce back win over estes park who is you know a um, a 1a program 
Then they get a huge win over Platte Valley to start their league play, and it was all uphill from here. They went 41-0 over Platte Valley. They beat Valley, just Valley, not Platte Valley, just Valley, uh, 61-14. They get a forfeit win over Sterling. Not like, that probably helps them, honestly, just as far as getting a week of rest for those ball carriers who get a ton of carries. You know, so they get this bye week, and then they, oh my God, what they did to Fort Lupton. They won 70 to nothing. Oh my God. Um, I don't even know how to respond to that. But anyways, they get past that. They beat Weld Central. And so then they're heading into the playoffs, and, you know, we still don't know a whole lot about them here at Preliminary Shore. I'm like, okay, you know, like, I know that they run a wing tee. I, I've seen some of their game recaps and whatnot. But, like, I'm going to give it to Basalt because, you know, Basalt has a passing game, you know, and they have Kate Schneider. But, you know, in that game, it didn't match up against this hard-hitting brush defense. I mean, holy crap. This brush defense was so dang physical all year. And, you know, they were forcing fumbles and blocking punts and stuff and just, you know, keeping the ball away from, from Basalt here. You know, they ran the ball 42 freaking times. And that'll just, that'll wear down any team. It really will. And it set up the passing game great. Maltos Garcia had a great performance, uh, you know, throwing three touchdowns to just one interception. So, you know, that's kind of the same mentality that they would keep. They get a very close playoff win against uh, Resurrection, losing the playoffs. Christian here, you know, 21 to 17. And then they get revenge against Severance on the road, actually. And, you know, they start off just by forcing a ton of turnovers on this severance offense. And after letting a few big plays to start the game, uh, the brush defense buckled down very tight on the severance offense and suffocated them uh, and roots to making an appearance in the state championship, which we'll talk about here in a second. Simon or actually Simon or Mason, what's your reaction to resurrection Christian here falling to the brush beat diggers here. What does that mean for Res Christian as a program? Are they, like I said, the program who just can't quite get it done? Mason, um, I'll, I'll let you go first. Go ahead, bud. Okay, so if we're talking about my bracket, I actually had Res going all the way. I had them facing TCA, another team that choked. But anyways, I had them facing TCA in the finals, then going and going ahead and facing Eaton. But, you know, I also didn't have Brush making it past the first round, you know. But them doing it, yeah, I do think so. And I don't know if it's a coaching problem over there. I don't know if it's just their standard that they're holding their kids to over there is, you know, we make it to the playoffs every year and then we lose in the second round. But they just can't seem to get past it. And I would love for them to prove us wrong. Like, prove me wrong when I say that. You know, if you can prove me wrong, good on you, but... Until you do, um, I'm going to take you as the team that's going to lose in the second round every year. Uh, Simon, what do you think? I'm not worried. I think Rez is fine. I don't think this game really meant anything. I mean, sure, you could be like, oh, you know, they were killing everyone going in. That's fine, you know. But the way Brush played Eden and stayed even, I could easily see why they made it. And easily see why they beat Basalt, easily see why they beat Rez, even easily see why they beat Severance. I mean, I want to put some respect on this Brush uh, um, coaching staff because I know our boy Scott Martinson, he said, I think Meade's old defensive coordinator, one of their defensive guys, actually became the head coach of Brush. And so that explains why they're so well coached because Meade obviously <clears throat> produces a lot 
a lot of great defensive guys. But we'll talk about 3A level here. And, you know, I think Rush just had a very good game plan of like, hey, if you're going to make a single mistake on offense, and in their opinion, I would probably imagine a single mistake would be not scoring a touchdown on offense, we're going to make you pay. We're going to take up an entire quarter and score. And that, when you take up, when you're starting to take up quarters to score, it's like, oh, we have what? One quarter to score, maybe? Or whenever we get the ball, that makes every possession that they have very, very key. And honestly, with them losing Will Schrodenborg, I would I was concerned. I mean, you know, I was definitely concerned a team with a very good defense, a very disciplined, and a very good offense working together could potentially shut down the rushing game of Rez because they don't have I mean, look, Eddie Lemos is a fantastic quarter or he's a fantastic athlete, but he's not a quarterback and that showed, you know, and he also can't throw it to himself too. Kate Dunlap, he's out there, but that's just another running threat. Other than that, Rez has no receivers. So that's tough. Your best receiver is playing quarterback. And obviously you knew this going in, but I think like a lot of these teams, they underestimated Rush and they're like, oh shoot, okay. You know, they had a very good game plan they executed. And you know, for that, I think, uh, of course it was shocking when they lost. You know, it wasn't like they lost by a lot. They lost by a touchdown. It was a little bit shocking, but I'm not concerned. I think that this coaching staff did a very good job with what they had. I think they underestimated Rush, which, I mean, let's be real. So did Basalt. So did Severance. Um, Eden, Loki, that was a really close game. Like, that was closer than most people would think, you know. And so did Playmakers Corner. Yeah, so did us, you know. And so they fed off of that. And so, personally, if we're – Look, if we, if we Loki wrote them off, I can't exactly blame Rez and their coaching staff for writing them off. I think they did what they could with what they had. They didn't get blown out. They could have won it. Sometimes that's just how it goes, you know. And so uh, I'm not concerned at all. I think Rez, they're going to definitely have a little bit of rebuilding year, losing so many athletes this year. But, you know, next year, you know, they have defense, a lot of young defensive players. They're starting freshmen and then sophomore on their defensive side of the ball. I think they'll be good to go next year. And then they just need to figure something out on offense um, next year and then hopefully develop. And so I'm not concerned about Rez. I think they're a top-tier program, and I think they're going to win state eventually. And, um, you know, compared to other coaching staffs, I'm I'm just not – like, I think they'll be okay. You know, and so, you know, let's talk about uh, some coaching staffs that are – in my opinion, should be cut and are on the hot seat. So um, going into the second round, you know, Eden, they beat Elizabeth. That was expected. They already did it earlier on. They basically had the same score in that game. So that's really interesting as they did in the regular season. So they moved on. University having their first playoff game in like, well, the first one this millennium because <laughs> the last one was back before 2000. Um, you know, they go ahead and beat Delta 28 to 14 in a crazy upset university being the 12th seed, being the four seed. Greg Garza is on fire so far. This university offense is on fire. And so there comes, uh, you know, <clears throat> on this side of the bracket, there is a rematch between Eden and university one more time to decide who goes to state. So that was an exciting part. And on this side, obviously, we talked about Brush beating Rez. Great game plan. You know, Rez coming up just short. Um, but... 
to brush. I mean, they every single mistake, every little mistake that you make, they're going to use to their advantage, and the game played well, and are coached well, and so they move on to the semis. And then we have Severance traveling down to Colorado Springs to play TCA, who would host. Now, I did talk about this game in depth. Severance got up big, including Caden Donovan forcing the only fumble Kate Palmer had all season in the first quarter that would result in a touchdown. Uh, literally, he would strip it, and then somebody would land on it in the end zone 20 yards behind, so that would go down. And then, you know, TCA, I don't know why, but they decided to let wide receiver Trevin Hole go for, like, 200 receiving yards and, like, three touchdowns, <laughs> and he would literally get a 30-yard catch every third down pretty much, yeah, every third down in the second half. And so... TCA was down by a lot. They wouldn't score these uh, their last two touchdowns until the third quarter, and said by then Severance was up by like three scores, and they were it, they had TCA in a pretty big chokehold. You know, they I mean they knew they were gonna run it with Cade Palmer, singled him out. You know, obviously Severance they have Caden Donovan, Colby Runner, the Gazdick boys. Uh, I got to meet the oldest one, so there you go. Um, I mean, they have a bunch of dogs out there, too. You know, Severance is about that life. They'll punch you in the face. They're, they're what I thought Harrison would be. Uh, but, you know, maybe a little bit more farm-fed, though. So, there you go. But Cody, Mason, Severance would upset TCA, beat them 37-21. to 21. Uh, They were rotating quarterbacks in this game as well. You know, not letting one quarterback get too cold, which was a big deal. Something I talked about. And whatnot, but Severance did upset TCA 37 to 21 in Colorado Springs and uh, held on and not only won but dominated through this game. But uh, Cody or Mason, uh, what's your reaction to this? You know, what do you think about this TCA coaching staff and their lack of, um, you know, ability to adjust in general? Um, my, my main question is is it a lack of ability to adjust or a lack of? Um, being able to develop players to face teams that aren't really easy like they do in the regular season. Because, well, you know... I would say they had the players for sure. It was... They had players that could have made plays. But, um... So then, then that's on them. That's all, that's all coaching then. If you're not going to put your playmakers in a spot to make a play, then you shouldn't be coaching a high school football team. You shouldn't be coaching a middle school football team. I think it's also important to throw out there as well. After uh, Kate Palmer was kind of getting shut down, and he was doing his best. He did break off like a big 50-plus yard rushing touchdown um, to start the third quarter and whatnot. But after that, they tried throwing the ball a lot more with their quarterback, Sam, who um, never even had 20 passing attempts this season. Uh, never really even approached it this season. And so he uh, – it was obvious because Sam was missing – everything I said in the preseason screen passes a lot of slants one of those slants was a bad interception not it was just it was behind and it was high <laughs> he threw it to Caden Donovan is what happened and then he did miss four or five deep shots here to Segovia um so yeah Cody what do you think about this 
same stuff, different day. First off, I want to put some respect on Severance's name. I did not see their uh, skyrocketing happening so quickly as a program, but, you know, they really uh, put in the work and got it done, you know, this season. And obviously, smacking around TCA is a huge accomplishment. And for TCA, I think it's just complacency. You know, TCA is fine, I guess, with going to the playoffs and losing every year. Uh, one way or another, whether it's to a team that literally can't pass the ball in the spring season or whether it's, you know, a program that's in its third year. Um, TCA, they just don't really uh, – I, I just don't think that they care enough to, to try and win these games. Well, to to be fair, Cody, Simon did just say basically TCA can't pass the ball either, so – I mean, look, learning to pass the ball against Severance is a very bad spot to be uh, with the defense that they had. And obviously, Caden Donovan being one of the top dogs in the state. And playing in the freaking East-West Bowl uh, uh, with a couple of other Severance boys, that that is not the time to figure it out. Um, you should already have it figured out. Take your schedule, take your scheduling more seriously too. Like they're fine with going undefeated in the regular season against a bunch of nobodies and then losing the playoffs against a legitimate powerhouse. So schedule some tough games during the regular season. Lose a regular season game and then adapt from it. You know, it, they're not willing to learn anything else and they're, they're just, they're fine where they are. And you know what? If that's what they want to do, it's not my school. It's not my coaching staff. But uh, is is very lazy and bad for the community. Oh, it's bad for the community, all right. Okay, well, a very big disappointment. Probably one of the biggest blunders of any team. Well, any team that's, uh, you know, not 5A this season. But... I do want to ask y'all one last question. Did this playoff loss affect your willingness to pick TCA in future seasons, playoffs, to potentially go to state or win a championship? In my opinion, um, look, it does. I felt like this was probably the most talented athletic group this TCA football team has ever, ever had. He had the only D1 player and all of two-way in Kate Palmer. He had a quarterback who I felt like was talented enough to get it done. He had Matthew Segovia, who in my opinion should have had 1,000 receiving yards or scrimmage yards at least, when in fact he only had 400 combined between receiving and rushing. Um, <clears throat> you had Eric Gundy, obviously. You had a line that honestly didn't show much trouble. I mean, against Severance, there were some troubles there, but I mean, when you're stacking the box with 10 fulls, then it's like, or like eight players, it's kind of hard to block all eight players when you can't pass the ball and take some guys out of the box. And so, you know, there you go. So they had a line. They had guys that were in there. They had, uh, I mean, they still have guys going into next year, have some players like Eric Gundy coming back and whatnot. But just moving forward, you know, did this playoff game affect, uh, you know, whether you're going to pick them or not in the future? I was kind of already on that path. Um, it, you know, based off everything you filled me in with uh, Simon being our TCA insider and alumni, uh, being a, a Titan himself, I was like, yeah, you know, that they shouldn't have lost the state game, you know, looking at that, looking through the, uh, the rifle matchup and whatnot. 
and Simon showing me how it's like they they probably should have won this state game honestly and if only they had another dimension on offense that is right in front of them uh, but they just failed to utilize it and this sounds like the status quo at uh, at TCA so I think for me personally man uh, I hate to doubt athletes you know I just hate to doubt them in general so you know Yes, it will change how I think of them just because of like a coaching staff in general. You can't beat bad coaching. You can't. You know, some athletes can take it on themselves, but, you know, obviously, like you said, this is probably the most talented team they've had over at TCA, and they lose to Severance because they're coaching staff, not because of the kids. So, athlete-wise, I don't want to doubt the athletes, but I'm going to doubt the coaching staff through and through. All right, fair enough. Well, we'll leave that there. Um, yeah, that's a big talking point, but we'll keep this thing going. Um, let me start with Brush versus Severance. So, Brush would beat Severance 35-18, to 18, playing a very, very clean game. Severance, as good as they are on defense. I mean, they're not bad on offense. I just think quarterback-wise, yeah, you know, it, it could go back and forth, and especially when, uh, you know, they were probably splitting – splitting snaps between their junior and sophomore quarterback that could definitely be a little bit of a problem and so Severance had a good run but unfortunately does come short of the semifinals by the way they've made the semis every year except one year um so far in their existence so a very good team a very well coached very good defense you know um but they'll be back so there's that uh boy do y'all want to re- react to that real quick that brush and severance game before we get to the other side of the bracket i was shook but watching the game recap i wasn't surprised if that makes sense uh they just brushes defense played stout and their running game wore them down and that's what they did to everyone they just put them through the meat grinder no that's kind of where i was at you know brush just runs and they run a lot and they're not afraid to just keep throwing it down your throat until eventually it gets to where it is. And, you know, that's exactly what they did. And also Severance, you know, making it to at least the semis in almost every one of their years, that's pretty insane for them as a squad. So congrats to them. So, yeah, before before we jump into uh, the, the championship game, just want to put a, a, a little ounce of uh, respect on uh, my guys out there at Bayfield and Alamosa. You know, uh, appreciate their support. And uh, they turned it around. Both of their programs were struggling programs for a couple of years. But they found themselves some athletes and put it together to make this playoff appearance. And the Southwestern Conference sending two teams to the playoffs uh, this year. You know, and, you know, they air it out, too. You know, they run pretty modern offenses. And uh, for that, I would like to just pay a little bit of respect to them as well as Delta being led by our 2A Newcomer of the Year winner in Ty Reed. Uh, Delta will, you know, they've kind of always been around. They they make anyone a solid enough quarterback, but uh, they're a team to keep an eye out for these next couple of years. But All right. I don't know. I don't know if we want to talk about anything else other than Simon talking about uh, his former students here and how they did in the postseason and the chip. Well, first... Well, yes, we will talk about it. But first, I want to talk about Eden versus University, the rematch, the last game at Eden High School. 
Um, look, I recapped this game, so I'm going to go by kind of quickly here. It started out as a quarterback shootout. Walker Martin versus Greg Garza, who could throw the most touchdowns. By the first quarter, each quarterback threw two touchdowns. Walker getting a 50-yarder and then throwing a 70-yarder. Greg Garza leading very good drives, including one where he threw an absolute dot to the corner to his boy, Kanan Padilla, who just barely got a step on the cornerback. And Kanan had actually had to dive for that touchdown there. And so this was a very close game. Eden would pull in front with a big second quarter. And then the third quarter, you know, University will put some drives together here to kind of make this thing closer. But fourth quarter, you know, this Eden... This Eden Town was about to go crazy, honestly, but it started raining. A lot of bad weather. University could not, they just simply couldn't throw the ball anymore because it was just so bad, just really windy, raining a lot, low key kind of sleet almost, you know. It was just nasty weather. But Eden would come out and get the dub 39 to 24, but with, not without, you know, getting a couple heart attacks in the first quarter and in the first half in general because this university squad put up a heck of a fight like they have all season. I want to just give it to y'all. And, you know, if y'all want to say anything about university or Eden or this game uh, leading up to here, go for it because this university team, man, they accomplished a lot and I think they deserve a lot of credit. Shout out to my boy Sam who coaches uh, wide receivers over there and uh for for playing hoops over the summer at the verge back a couple of years ago but really no he coached up some good ones out there you know uh kanan padilla he did win our 2a playmaker of the week in the very first week you know and greg garza also won a playmaker of the week you know in that regular season as well as during the opening round of the playoffs uh greg garza did win a playmaker of the week so it should be no surprise that, you know, they made fireworks over there and we're both candidates for our most valuable playmaker actually on our end of the year awards show. So congratulations to them having a good season and hopefully this inspires, you know, uh, other players. And, you know, I know that there's a little bit of movement of players in Greeley right now and where to go play for. And maybe with this kind of season, University has put themselves as a great landing spot despite being a 2A program. Is there anything you want to say about University or Eden here? Um, no, I wanted to just say that basically, uh, you know, I think that it would have been kind of sick to see both of these guys in the state championship game. You know, obviously it didn't fall that way. Um, both these teams are insane. And, you know, University put up a fight against, you know, Eaton being the only team that scored 20 on them all season, not once, but twice. So, you know, they put up the best fight that anyone could have. And, you know, it's they, they got a squad over there and, you know, they got some great coaches over there. So I'm excited to see where they're going to be, you know, in the future. All right. Well, there you go. Uh, Greg Garza, by the way, winning our two-way MVP award, you know, um, and potentially being a quarterback on one of our top five seniors list. Just going to throw that out there. But University, a very good season, in my opinion. Would have loved to see them in state, but unfortunately, they did have to go against a very dominant Eden team who we predicted to go to state and win it. So here we are, Eden versus Brush. Brush, the underdogs, upsetting pretty much every team. Um, well, except for Basalt. But 
basically upsetting pretty much every team um, leading up to this game. This game was really close, not going to lie. They were locked at like, I think 14 to 14 for a really long time. I felt Eden would have a very big fourth quarter led by, led by Ryan Dirksen, who would not only rip off a 50-plus yard rushing touchdown, but also will get two sacks in the fourth quarter. One would end a brush drive with a lot of potential. The other one would basically end the very last brush offensive drive of their season on fourth down. And so with that being said, Eden would go on and win 26-14, to going back-to-back for the first time in a really long time and uh, defending their chip successfully, having an undefeated season, being the only team in Colorado to have uh, an under well, no, except for Centauri, sorry. Other than Centauri being the only team to have an undefeated season. So there you go there. Cody or Mason, you can talk about this game if you want. And just anything about the. I mean, this was a very good game. Um, I would say, you know, the only thing I wanted to throw out there is that it was very obvious that Rush didn't have the kind of players that Eden had skill-wise and that there were definitely some mismatches there, um, very obvious mismatches there. But Cody or Mason, do you want to talk about this game real quick as we end this 2A season in review? I think the biggest difference maker for me was, like I said, you know, Eaton's defensive line, man. You know, when you're on a wing tee, you don't want to face a buzzsaw of a defensive line. And yes, don't get me wrong, you know, <clears throat> Brush still got it, you know, down. They still scored some points and stuff. But this defensive line was eating, like, all day up the middle. And, you know, I think that was the biggest difference maker for me, you know. And when we saw Brush try and throw the ball a couple times, it was pretty rough. So... I think that I think that's my biggest take from that game. You know, don't mess with Eaton's defensive line, Cody. I mean, picked him to win state, and they did. Uh, shout out to Brush, who actually was leading Eaton heading into that fourth quarter because Eaton did miss a PAT. Um, so Brush was ahead uh, by a single point, and you know they were, especially in that first half. You know, they were kind of. Eden was not expecting this, and they were slacking, you know, and Brush was very opportunistic, and, you know, shout out to Brush, you know, for for their successful season, but ultimately, Eaton goes back-to-back and closes off the last year on that field uh, with a very, with a storybook-like ending, and, you know, they, they have some candidates for Defensive Playmaker of the Year, you know, they have candidates for Offensive Playmaker of the Year, I believe Mason voted both uh, Ryan Durson and Walker Martin uh, for his votes, if I recall correctly. And, yes, I did. You know, um, if if they weren't such a well-rounded team, they definitely have would have somebody at most valuable playmaker as well. But uh, overall, a great year, and you know, a fun two uh, A award show involving some of their guys as well. Yeah, no, for sure, uh, Ian. You know, they will be moving to an entirely new building, hopefully next year if everything goes right. Uh, So they'll be at a whole new spot. They will also be upgrading to a stadium. I don't know if you all have ever seen Platte Valley Stadium, but they'll be upgrading to something 
somewhere like that, a lot more bigger than the stands, you know, Cody, you and I were in, um, holding a lot more people. Because even that playoff game was really cramped. Like, there are people, like, on the fences, like, everywhere. It was wild, you know. And in the baseball field next to it, just to watch that last playoff game on the field. And so Eden getting a couple upgrades there. Rush, unfortunately, you know, they did lose. But, you know, we'll keep an eye on them because they have some good coaching over there. Uh, now, I want to ask y'all one last question before we end the season in review here. But Eden, you know, they're graduating Ethan Flores. They're graduating Ryan Dirksen. They're graduating Lucas Cass, the Lawrence brothers, uh, Brogan Barr. But they're returning Morgan Trebet. They're starting defensive end. They're returning Ryder True, an all-state linebacker, as a senior brother of Tanner True. By the way, Ryder had a very good season this a year as well. They'll be returning Walker Martin, their quarterback who lit it up this year. You know, they're returning Zach Grable, his lead receiver, who, you know, because he lit it up, uh, did his thing as well. They're returning their big tight end, Tate Smith, the 6'6", 230-pound tight end over there. You know, they're returning a lot of guys, um, despite losing, you know, seniors like Dirk Duncan, Broken Bar, all the guys I just said. But with that being said, do you think Eden – is in the contender, I guess, conversation for next year. And, you know, would you say that they are potentially a favorite to win it again next year with so many key players returning? I can't write them off, you know, with just their talent pool is very good in, in general. And the coaches coach them up very good. And, you know, they haven't shown weakness in two years. So... Until they show signs of weakness, it's very hard to bet against them. I'd say for me, uh, like I said, defense wins championships, and you heard how many other defensive players are coming back. You know, their defense shut down everybody this year, and I see him doing it again next year. Uh, for me personally, I think they're my front runner to win it again. There you go there. Eden continues their dominance and whatnot potentially but you know we'll just have to see um i even will be in the conversation but i don't know if they'll win or not i know you know uh they they got some guys obviously in the wings um because i taught elementary and high school there and i know they have a lot of talented players that are waiting for their opportunity including a very nice freshman running back who runs at least a four or five in my opinion at least a four or five because he was killing university's freshman team and so there you go. That's our 2A season in review. Thank you so much to all the 2A fans who have given us so much love, man. Um, I you know, look, I got to shout out my Eden boys in the Eden community. It was so good seeing so many of my former students, a lot of parents, teachers, coaches, some of my uh, personal mentors out there saying hi. You know, I know they support us a lot. But also a big shout out to, you know, teams like University as well and Severance who have shown us a whole ton of love, man. University, like all their guys – Oops, sorry about that. That's weird. Uh, University, you know, have a bunch of really nice guys. Man, Greg Garza is an absolute animal, a next-level player for sure. Severance, a young program, but they're ready. You know, I think they're maybe a quarterback away here. I know their younger quarterback, Hoffman, he will be at Team 4 Gorilla tryouts tomorrow. Uh, I told him to go say what's up uh, to us because I think he will be one of the lone small-town quarterbacks coming to Denver to try out for TFG. So we'll have to see about 
that. Cody or Mason, anything you want to say to 2A before uh, we close this segment and move on to 3A? No. So, uh, just uh, thank you, 2A, for providing me with my worst take of the entire year. However, I did predict Eaton to win in the preseason preview and in the pre-postseason bracket. So I think it balances out uh, more or less. But uh, yeah, all those all those players are are super awesome. And you know, listen to our 2A awards episode to know what 2A is all about. There are some D1 guys on the 2A level, and it's it's just worth mentioning and worth learning about. I believe that's episode 95, episode 95 to learn more about 2A. But other than that, coming up next, 3A football. Hi, y'all, and welcome back to the Playmakers Corner podcast. I am one of your hosts, Cody Stoffer, joined here by Coach V and Mason Austin, talking about the 2021 Colorado high school football season and what a crazy one it was. We just got done talking 1 and 2A, but how about we talk 3A here? This was one of the most exciting previews to do. It was one of the most exciting brackets to do, and it was for sure one of the most exciting previews. Uh, postseasons to kind of pay attention to here and so kind of to start off here uh, talking about you know kind of around the edge kind of contenders here talking about the defending spring champions here in Thomas Jefferson High School I was fairly high on them I'm not gonna lie probably a little too high in in hindsight but you know I was excited about them obviously you know it was exciting watching them in the spring and watching Avery Shunnan, uh, Shunnison, who was a rated player, I believe, and, you know, watching his film and whatnot, as well as looking at quarterback Austin Lindergreen stats. You know, I felt like he was an efficient quarterback who could make a lot of plays with his legs and arm. You know, I thought that he had a pretty, pretty good arm. And, you know, as well, I kind of thought that Blake Tapia could step into a role that Avery Shunnison was for this Thomas Jefferson team. We also briefly talked about Randy Yaboa, uh, who is able to, who should turn more pass deflections into turnovers and help the secondary out that struggled from time to time in the spring. And, you know, as well, just a blossoming secondary, uh, supposedly for this Thomas Jefferson team, including Dimitri Harambopoulos, I believe is how you say that, you know, who had three interceptions in the, you know, 2021 spring season. And we wanted some guys to take a look forward. You know, I felt that their offensive line and defensive line was going to look good. They had some All-State guys. They had some guys who were able to get a ton of tackle for losses, and they were returning here. And, you know, I did I did make a bold statement that their line was up there with the Meads and the Durangos. And as we would come to find out over the season, that was hopeful at best here. But regardless of that, you know, I, I felt good about their, their line being able to generate pressure and help force turnovers here, you know. But, uh, you know, Simon's prediction was way more accurate. You know, on the season here, 
they did struggle a little bit and Lindergren did take, I'd say, a fairly significant step backwards as a passer this fall season against different competition. But ultimately, you know, he still did pretty good on the ground, rushing for 18 touchdowns. And uh, uh, Hera Lambopoulos here, he also ran for another 15 touchdowns. So their backfield was very solid this year. But Simon, do you want to talk about, you know, potentially what you didn't see from this Thomas Jefferson team and in what ways they kind of lived up to your projection for them for better or for worse? Okay. Well, (laughs) um, I was quoted and did say word for word. I don't see it. I just don't. I don't believe in them right now. If they're that dominant, then they'll outscore me or Lutheran. I didn't think so. Uh, I think uh, it was just a sinking feeling. I'm going to be honest. Most of it was just a sinking feeling. Like, they're just not all that. You know, sure, they look good on paper, but I, there's just something that's really off there. Um, one of those things also was that I just said I wasn't impressed with their strength of schedule. I put out Falcon, who's not a good program. We'll talk about them in 4A. Um, they're not a good program at all e, in multiple ways. Lincoln isn't that good. Centaurus isn't that good. Kennedy, minus their offense, isn't good at all. Um, Denver North, I was like, yeah, I mean, they're okay, but they're not, like, I'm not, like, concerned, you know? Like, I'm not concerned about them really right now. And then I threw out Aurora Central, who they forfeited to, so they didn't even play. And so then I said they're barely a playoff team. Did predict them to beat Eagle Valley and Sierra, but... Other than that, I saw Dakota Ridge on their schedule, and I'm like, no, they're not. That's not going to be a close game. I feel like that could break their confidence. I think that's just not That's not a good game. And, uh, you know, Cody, you obviously were more uh, high on them. Um, you did say that if uh, <laughs> Thomas Jefferson could only lose by two or three scores to Dakota Ridge, then uh, they're okay. You know, they'll be good. The, the Thomas Jefferson will be a contender on the 3A level. So, um, so yeah. And then well, I they said, lost by more than two or, or uh, lost by, you know, two or three more scores. They lost by, like, six? Yes. Six touchdowns? Yeah. I said best case scenario, they lose by four scores. So, yeah. But here's what we agreed on. Well, okay. Here, we didn't agree on this. This is what I thought. And then we eventually came to an agreement. But I said they're a fringe playoff team with an easy schedule. Um, You know, they should dominate the conference. But to me, that didn't mean anything. To me, they're a one-and-done team. And then we both agreed that they should make the playoffs. And if they don't, someone should get fired. So we agreed on that. We threw that uh, around quite a bit here on this uh, 3A preview here. We'll we'll come back to... You know what, actually, I'm just going to kind of talk about talk about that real quick. You know, as far as another time that we said someone should be fired if, some, if something doesn't happen here. Going a little bit out of order here, but in the preseason, I was pretty excited and did watch some film on Briggs Wheatley, obviously being one of the top dog quarterbacks in this senior class and somebody who might make our top five QB list out there in Fort Morgan. He was their leading passer and rusher. I really liked his decision-making and just his playmaking ability in a shortened season. And he was he had some weapons around him. You know, Frank Ortega 
being one of the you know best athletes in all of football, one through five A. Go ahead and listen to our top five running backs episode for a full film breakdown on Frank Ortega. Then, you know, they had guys like Braden Fajardo as well, who is a solid receiver and then an even better defender. And, you know, I, I, uh, I was going to say if they don't put up 30 points a game, then they're not a contender, which yeah, that, that was a little bit cap. You know, I didn't put as much faith in their defense as I thought. You know, because they were graduating seven of their top 10 tacklers. So I was concerned about their defense for sure and thought that it was all up to the offense to, you know, score like crazy for them. And, you know, uh, thought that they wouldn't. I I didn't know if they were going to be able to compete with some of the bigger guys here in this uh, in this regular season. But I'll talk about their regular season a little bit more here. Uh, But I did. We did say that they're a playoff team, maybe not quite a contender, but, you know, if they don't make the playoffs, then somebody's getting fired. So there's that kind of similar path here. But we'll revisit them in a second and talk about their regular season a little bit more. But, you know, some of the other teams that we talked about included uh, Holy Family High School. We did mention them earlier, probably not in the best light, as they did lose to a 2A squad in Brush High School you know, talking about our 2A season. However, you know, we did say that they're a playoff team, maybe not a contender, but they're always contending, or not always contending, but pretty regularly in the playoffs, they do find a way to come across some talent. You know, they did have that two-star guy in Jacob Laver there at running back. Tony, they lost to Rez, not Brush. Oh, my bad. Resurrection Christian. <laughs> my lost to Resurrection Christian. My bad. It uh lost to a two A contender in Resurrection Christian, and yikes! You don't want to be losing to two A teams and be taken seriously on the three A level. But you know the talent gap isn't actually that big. A point for another day. But regardless, you know in the three A that's not a great look. It was pretty early in the season too. But you know I think they were definitely working some kinks out, and they eventually did. You know, they had a young quarterback. I believe he was a sophomore in Ryland Cooley is his name. And, you know, I think he experienced some growing pains. And I don't know if they necessarily believed in him as the answer here. But once he kind of found a rhythm, you know, they kind of go on a little bit of a run here following that loss to Resurrection Christian. I mean, they do get the benefit of a forfeit against a a Canyon city, but then they get a win over a Thompson Valley. They get an overtime win over Frederick and they lose a very close one to Mead here and show that they can compete at least with some of the top dogs in the state of Colorado. So, you know, they, they were kind of exactly uh, who we said they were in, in a way, you know, uh, that we were concerned about Pueblo South, who they did beat. We were concerned about Roosevelt, who did spank them in the second week. And then, you know, they get an easy layup against Green Mountain and then lose to Resurrection Christian here. And then we also say Frederick and Meade are concerns. And they go, you know, they go 500 in those games, which is honestly pretty good. Honestly, pretty good. You know, uh, between South, Roosevelt, Res, Frederick and Meade, or I guess not 500 unless you count the playoffs, but... You know, um, they they still come out of it alive, is what I should say, and do well enough, you know, only losing four games. And we said best case scenario, 
was that they lose three games in the regular season and in the regular season they lost four so you know just a little bit below best case scenario and holy family's got to be pretty happy about that and pretty happy about the future you know uh rylan cooley throwing 19 touchdowns to only eight interceptions and then jacob you know running for 15 scores and 1078 yards after they graduated uh both of their running backs and a quarterback so this was a team that kind of had to piece it together as they went but eventually figured it out i'd say and uh went into the playoffs and played some pretty exciting playoff games that we'll talk about here in a bit mason i'm pretty sure that you got to go to a camp when we were at arapo and scrimmage against you know this holy family team back in the day and you know i'd say that for being a 3A team to scrimmage against as a 5A program, I think that's where I found to put some respect on their name. What do you think of, you know, this kind of preseason preview of Holy Family, as well as, you know, how they eventually played in the regular season? And then after that, if Simon wants to go, uh, feel free to speak up on it. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. Um, I put a lot more respect on the Holy Family name when I went to one of those camps. And I'm not going to lie, I was playing tight end at that point. I got laid out by one of their linebackers. And everyone was, like, on the way up there was like, oh, you know, they're, they're like, 3A, we're 5A. They have, like, no, there's no big deal. Like, we'll run through every one of these guys. And, yeah, I got laid out. So that, that happened there. But, um, yeah, no, I think that was a pretty decent, like, you know, front run and seeing how they were. And they definitely killed it in the you know, at the back half of the season. So I think you guys did a great job on what you were saying about them. And I think that your guys kind of, you know, were right, like hitting the head of the nail on what they needed and what they ended up doing. Simon, what do you think? Yeah, I think this was actually one of our best predictions, honestly. Um, we Honestly, I think we nailed it almost detail for detail. We did say, you know, they're well built up front. You know, they usually always have a top 10 defense, which I think they did, you know, and so they'll figure it out eventually. But it was offense we were concerned about with them basically losing all their starters. And, you know, they they were definitely trying to figure it out because they tried starting senior Tyler Stevens. He was just inefficient in every way. And then they went to Ryland Cooney. Um, they were like, you know, bringing him in and then benching him and then splitting, uh, you know, snaps with him before he finally took over the job, which I love. You know, I love them just handing over the keys to him about midseason. And, you know, he put up numbers, man. He found Dom uh, Mazula, one of our, shoot, I think he was our second highest rated tight end in the state of Colorado. I mean, he, he was the beast and he found him a lot, allowed him to make some big plays. And so moving forward, I mean, I think, I think moving forward, I think this Holy Family team, uh, you know, they have a lot of pieces to build on on offense and defense. Now they are losing Dom and Jacob Lover, but I wouldn't say this season was super disappointing. They did have some tough teams here between Pablo South, Roosevelt, even Rez. I mean, they're good. They have talent. Let's not uh, dance around it. Like Resurrection Christian has talent. They definitely could have beat a lot of other 3A teams that are worse than Holy Family. And there are a lot of 3A teams worse than Holy Family. So just keep that in mind. And so, like I said, um, or like we said, you know, this uh, was a pretty good prediction here. I think we couldn't have predicted it better. I mean, maybe, maybe you know, be like, oh, they have a young quarterback at the wings. But uh, there is no way we could have possibly known about that. And so, 
yeah, this is this has to be one of our best predictions. We were right on the nail here. So, um, so yeah. But uh, go ahead, Cody. Dude. <laughs> yeah, no, I. Uh, I'll just keep it keep it rolling here. Yeah, you go know, for it. So, uh, Holy Family, right? You know, uh, we are pretty spot on there. And you know, as far as saying that, you know, they're gonna have a lot of close games in the fourth quarter that end up being a toss up. That was very true. You know, winning a an overtime game against Frederick and then losing to me by three points. A lot of these games came down to the fourth quarter. So, pretty spot on there. Obviously, you know. We couldn't have talked about 3A football without talking about the defending champions, you know, at the time, the Durango Demons here. And, you know, I they were losing one of the best quarterbacks in Colorado and Jordan Wolverton, obviously, and graduating, you know, some some playmakers for sure. They they had a wide receiver as well that graduated and, you know, they did graduate just quite a few people, but we didn't want to write them off yet here and uh, excuse me uh kind of talked about you know the biggest question mark was who's going to take over under center for this durango team so we kind of shot around some ideas like jordan stanley potentially playing quarterback and seeing who is who is going to step up for this durango demons team and you know i'd say all in all they still had a very successful season you know, I, I thought that just with the momentum that they had and the impact that the community felt that, you know, maybe they would be able to potentially repeat, I wasn't going to write them off quite yet. And, you know, uh, to, to talk about Jordan Stanley a little bit, he did throw a touchdown this year. You know, uh, he only had two pass attempts, so he wasn't the full-time quarterback. They ended up going with a sophomore in harms here who is going to be a guy to watch out for, for sure. And, you know, on the ground, uh, Haber, who we did talk about being a huge threat on offense and defense, he kind of popped off this year running for 19 touchdowns and almost 1,400 yards. So, you know, Haber, he delivered like we said that he would. Uh, you know, Stanley still threw a touchdown. Not a completely accurate prediction, but not a completely wrong prediction either. Um, so, you know, that was pretty interesting as well. Um, let's see. It says that, uh, we predicted them beating all of the New Mexico teams and they didn't. We talked about Farmington being a threat and they ended up losing that game. Farmington being a very solid program. They lost that 38 to 17. And this was one that I missed on to is, uh, you know, Montrose being a challenge. But I said that they should still beat them. And that was actually their biggest loss of the entire year, losing 39 to 7 to a very solid 4A Montrose squad, you know, who who had a pretty decent playoff run themselves on the 4A level. And then, you know, still talking about it, talking about Discovery Canyon and Harrison being trap games, but should still beat them. And they they did not take those lightly it was probably the two losses earlier in the season that snapped them into shape but they took care of business there and you know for we we said that they would end the season with like two or three losses and they ended the regular season with two losses here and uh simon you want to kind of take us through some of our thoughts as far as discovery canyon and harrison maybe being trap games and uh i mean i'd say that our projection on durango here was pretty dang accurate uh, for not knowing what the depth chart was going to look like. Yeah, I, uh, look, I mean, 
we knew Durango was returning a lot of players. They were a very stacked team last year. Um, Jordan Stanley not playing quarterback, that kind of sucks. I mean, it would have been fun to watch because he's such a good athlete, but it is what it is. They decided to go with the sophomore and develop him. I actually really like the idea. Uh, Durango also, by the way, adding Todd Casebeer to uh, their coaching staff, which is absolutely huge. And so I really like that hire for sure. I think Durango, I mean, they're going to be dangerous for the next couple years. But with all that being said, we're just going off of the talent that was left after that, uh, you know, after their seniors graduated for the most part. And we were pretty accurate here. I mean, look, we were right saying Farmington was a threat. I'm pretty sure they won state in New Mexico this year on the highest level. I You should check that. But I know they went undefeated in the regular season and were blasting other teams by a lot more than what Durango got in that game. And then Montrose, I mean, they were the one seed in 4A, I'm pretty sure. Or up, they were up, they were a top seed in 4A. So there was no way we could have, you know, predicted that. So all in all, I mean, you know, DCC, Harrison, Sure, there were trap games, but still beat him, took care of business, took care of everyone else on that list as well. And I think this is, uh, you know, right next to our Holy Family uh, prediction, one of our most accurate predictions as well. Loki on fire with the predictions on 3A. Um, well, Loki on fire because, um, you know, we were, we were on and off with some. And so uh, not too bad. I mean, honestly, Durango... They lost. They went through a lot more injuries than I think most people knew. Uh, check out that Joshua Bates interview. He is their starting center. Also committed, still committed to Oklahoma. So there you go. He'll be returning next year. But when we talked with him, he gave us a little bit more insight. He said they're starting left tackle toward their ACL. Um, they're starting running back towards ACL near the end of the season. A lot of torn ACLs, a lot of messed up knees. Uh, I think uh I think Jordan Stanley might have lost some time as well. Um, you know, they were going through it, <laughs> you know, near the end of this season. But they still put up a pretty respectable season. Durango, man, they're they're, they're building something great over there, honestly. They could be kings of the South for a while here and just be a dominant program because, you know, they, they, they're just stacked. You know, they have a lot of great skill players. They have good coaches who are developing a lot of great players over there. You know, I mean... I don't know. I'm really excited about this team, but uh, I'm gonna pull back on the on the reins here. I was about to say pull back on the brakes. That's not a thing. I'm gonna pull back on the reins here while talking about Durango. Uh, but you know, they were a team that you know going into the playoffs was gonna be a threat uh, with those two losses against uh, basically a state champion and then a team in Montrose that was considered a contender uh, after the regular season. Um, but Cody, do you want to, well, okay, before we get into our picks, because this was the first time we picked two different teams to win state, do we want to talk about Lutheran here real quick? Or Harrison, either one. I was about to say, you know, uh, we talk about Harrison being a trap game. I, I want to let you kind of take the lead on this Harrison squad, because, I mean, you, you had me drinking the Harrison Kool-Aid for sure, as far as that offensive and defensive line being very stout. So I kind of want to let you kind of take the lead on that Harrison talk. And then Mason, while Simon's talking about this, you know, go ahead and take a look at their schedule. And I want to get Mason's raw reaction to this uh, Harrison prediction being our biggest blunder on the 3A level, uh, admittingly. 
Well, I don't know about the biggest blunder. My probably my biggest blunder on the three A level, personally, uh, for sure. But look, here's what we said. So we said, well, I said that I can see the squad as one that could willpower their way into the playoffs, but it won't look pretty. We we knew that. Like it was going to be a very ugly <laughs> regular season um, in an attempt to get back into the playoffs, and that would be tough. We were concerned about them losing all their pass catchers except for two, and the two pass catchers they had caught like a combined maybe five passes between the two of them. So that's a big deal. They were also losing their quarterback, which was also a big deal. And I said I don't think they're a contender, but I did like their star running back, Kahar Briggs, along with interior lineman uh, Jesse Weber and Elijah Jenks. Also, lineman Mikey Norris and Antonio Cami Valdez. I think they will make an impact on the other side of the ball as well, kind of holding down that edge. And then I did say they are limited offensively because they really just have Kahar Briggs. Um, and then their next, uh, shoot, their next best skill player is a sophomore. Multiple, they're all sophomores, actually. So, yeah, I think Kahar might have been the only upperclassman on offense outside of the linemen. So there you go. And then we basically named half of their schedule as pretty difficult games. Glenwood Springs, TCA, Roosevelt, Durango, Sand Creek. So, I mean, like, look, it wasn't like we said it was going to be like, oh, yeah, they're going to be great, you know. But I did think they were going to make the playoffs for sure, for sure here. And, you know, they struggled and it showed. I think part of it was because they didn't have Kahar Briggs for, like, four games, uh, their first four games. Glenwood Springs, they lost 41-14. Canyon City lost 47-27. Uh, TCA, already talked about that, but they lost 49-0. Didn't have Kahar. Uh, didn't have their starting defensive end. But, you know, their defensive tackles, and what I saw, they still played pretty well. Kate Palmer couldn't run it up the middle. Nobody could have ran it up the middle. Everyone just bounced outside. And then because they don't have their starting defensive ends or Kahar Briggs, who plays both sides, that's pretty tough. Lost to Roosevelt, 63-0. Um, not too bad of a loss, considering I think Carr Bridge was making his return here. But they only lost to Pueblo County, 21-7. Then they lost to Durango, 42-0. Took care of business against Sierra. Still show, you know, who runs Southern Colorado, um, at least in this district here. They beat them, 41-0. They made a pretty big statement against Sand Creek, a team that I felt like maybe could have, uh, you know, snuck their way into the playoffs. They destroyed them, 45-8. Just barely lost to Discovery Canyon, 21-14. to 14. And then they, uh, you know, they did whatever they wanted to Mitchell, as everybody does, 58-16. to 16. And so, honestly, <clears throat> I mean, look, I, I think I maybe overestimated um, how quickly their offense could gel, you know, because it, it took a while. We'll just say that defensively, you know, they're getting stops at the line of scrimmage. But, like, if you could just run it outside, especially when you're missing players, that's a pretty big problem. Um, uh, they had one quarterback, a junior, do more interceptions than touchdowns, 40% completion rating, not great. Kahar Briggs um, only played in eight games this season, you know, still ran for 700 yards, six touchdowns. Uh, sophomores, Washington and Preciado, both guys who I label as guys that I'm excited for. You know, they took a step forward 
Washington had 582 rushing yards and six touchdowns, um, you know, kind of splitting carries with Briggs slash getting a good start early on in that season. Uh, Preciado, he plays mostly receiver, I feel, but, you know, got in there as a running back, so that's not bad. Um, as a receiver, their best receiver had 266 yards, two touchdowns, so a lot of struggles on offense. Defensively, though, I mean, Jesse Weber, their defensive tackle, led with 74 tackles. Um, right behind them, Tony Ward, Washington, the sophomore, was there with 41. Kami Valdez only played in nine games, but he was their third leading tackler and with um, with uh, 39 tackles here and six tackles for losses here. And then as far as sacks goes, nothing crazy. Kami Valdez did have four sacks. Jesse Weber's right behind him with three. So altogether, Harrison... Personally, I think I was just too high on how fast this offense could get it together. Because um, it, it was asking for a lot in general. Because they had a, there were a lot of tough games on here. So, you know, in hindsight, maybe not the worst uh, prediction here. But definitely asking a little bit too much out of a bunch of freshmen and sophomores on offense. Mason, what do you think about this? Yeah, um, you guys missed on this one i'm not gonna lie uh they got stuffed man like roosevelt putting up 63 nothing 49 nothing against tca um 47 27 against canyon city you know they they got you know their wins against like sierra 41 nothing 45 to you know eight over sand creek like you said you know still someone that you thought could maybe pull it out and make a playoff run Mitchell, we don't really have to count that one. Um, yeah, I, I think I think you guys missed on this one, but you know, like like you said, you said they're all like sophomores and freshmen, so you know it doesn't mean they can't click. You know, coming into their junior and sophomore seasons, or maybe even their senior and junior seasons. You know, it's all about like you said, their offense gelling together and see where they're going to be in the next couple of years. And injuries were tough on on this Harrison squad as well, uh, just in general. Coming across good health, that'll kneecap almost any season. And I think that you could take away a lot from even the last four games, you know, even against Discovery Canyon, a tight loss. I feel like these last four games are more of a Harrison that we'll see in years to come, potentially. So, you know, uh, and, you know Discovery Canyon, they're not the best team but to compete against them in a very close loss i feel like that's also a victory you can be pretty happy about and the teams that they lost to excluding canyon city they're all playoff teams and they're all good playoff teams nonetheless well not tca being a good team while playing in the playoffs but you know what i mean a solid team that made the playoffs and you know is routinely there so and Glenwood Springs, I know that they're not a playoff team, but they're also a solid squad out there with a lot of young talent. And a team that we briefly talked about, you know, um, when talking about Basalt, you know, talking about their young QB, uh, Joaquin Sandoval. And he's somebody who had a pretty solid season this year, honestly. Uh, just putting some respect on that Glenwood Springs team that showed us so much support during the regular season. And, uh, you know, they're, they're running back as well. Also had a, a solid uh, season. And he had a little bit of a qualm not being on our top five running backs list. But it was no disrespect. Uh, we'll, we can get a uh, film breakdown done for him 
sooner than later here. And while just talking about teams that we briefly mentioned, you know, I did bring up Evergreen because, you know, they've been a successful football program for uh, a, quite a few years now, you know, and they also have that uh, Tommy Poloski, I believe is, I feel like I say it wrong every time, but, you know, they have a very solid quarterback there, I think, and they had a incredible season, honestly, going eight and three uh this season you know they didn't make the playoffs mainly because of lack of strength of schedule you know they beat up on some pretty bad teams in general and they struggled against some of the better teams here but you know i think that they have a lot to be excited about here in the future and they were competitive uh just just like and they didn't have a bad season eight and three is a very good season here and they have a lot to be excited about with uh paholski moving up i mean he had a great season with 21 scores and five touch or 21 touchdowns and five interceptions and you know they were kind of going through a lot low-key emotionally this year uh they did lose one of their top assistant coaches so you know i think that they, they were going through it quite a bit this year but with a little bit stronger of a schedule and a little bit more experience heading into that senior year of their quarterback and leading running back you could see maybe a Griffin Loritano and uh, Noah Martins type of year from them next year. Cody and they did make playoffs. What? They faced Durango in the first round. Oh, they faced Durango. Okay. Uh, for some reason, this doesn't say playoff game on their schedule. Uh, thank you for correcting me. So, obviously, you know, they had a, a solid season by all means, only losing two in the regular season before running into Durango, who, you know, we talked about being a contender anyways. So, you know. That I'd say that was a solid enough prediction, and uh, you know they'll they'll be around uh, for sure. And then lastly, you know the last team that we briefly mentioned and ended up kind of performing very well is Frederick. You know who made it into the second round of the playoffs, kind of on the heels of great performances from Parker Ayers. You know we mentioned how they're returning a lot of players and they should be able to make some noise. And Simon mentioned how they can be a trap game. Uh, for a lot of contending teams. And they even were, Simon, uh, you know, with a surprising win against Meade in the regular season. So, uh, Simon, how do you feel hitting that one kind of perfectly? Well, that's just Frederick's culture, to be honest with you. They're, they're always pretty solid. They have a good coaching staff. They develop players well. You know, they were able to kind of gain some momentum near the end there at you know, them beating me, that was pretty shocking, but not surprising. That's just how Frederick is. You know, that little trio of Frederick, Roosevelt, me, they be taking shots at each other all the time, pretty much every season for the last 20 years, no matter who's more talented. You know, one team could be more talented and the other one could upset them. That's just kind of the relationship of those three have. So, uh, so yeah, no big surprises there. But I'm glad to see Frederick kind of getting it going there, uh, starting with their with their senior running back Parker Ayers. But they definitely have some young guys there that are ready to go next year. They almost had three thousand yard rushers, like three one thousand yard rushers. They had two, and the third one had 780 yards. So that's freaking nuts. And their quarterback was throwing touchdowns too. Uh, not a lot of pass attempts, but still throwing touchdowns. So, you know, Frederick there it seems to keep an eye on for. But, you know. Before we talk about that, the rest of that trio of Roosevelt and Meade, there is one team that 
Simon and I agreed was, you know, a mutual contender. And, you know, they gave us a lot to like. And that was the Lutheran Lions out there. Um, and uh, they had a very successful regular season, not losing a single game. And it was off of great performances of Clayton Jacobs, who will be a top five quarterback. We don't know where he's going to land yet, but he's for sure going to be there. So, you know, that's something to keep in mind. And, you know, Dorian Pacheco, actually, who Simon and Mason both helped win Defensive Playmaker of the Year on this 3A level. And, you know, before I talk about the rest of the projection here, Mason, do you kind of want to take me through your thoughts as far as, you know, choosing Dorian Pacheco and what you did see from Lutheran? I Did you make it out to one or two games? And based off of what you saw, um, how... How much did you believe in Lutheran as a contender on the 3A level? Yeah, so, you know, for Lutheran as a whole, I went out to one game. That was with Simon. We left by halftime. Um, they were destroying the other team. Uh, just to say, you know, the quarterback for Lutheran, he he throws differently than a lot of quarterbacks in Colorado, and it shows, and he is – Insane. We went out to that Denver North game, and that's the one that, you know, Simon and I have talked about the throw that we saw him throw. Uh, Simon, I'm pretty sure, has it on video. Um, it was back shoulder. He flipped his hips. You know, it's imprinted on my mind for a reason. But going into Pacheco himself, man, the dude's just an animal. Um, all over the defensive, uh, at, all over the defense. He does everything for this squad. Um, here, I'm pulling up his stats right now because this kid, he won it for a reason. You know, he could have honestly been a part of, you know, anybody's uh, list. But why is his stats not pulling up? So basically for him, though, you know, this season he put up on the just on the defensive side alone. He had, you know, 45 solo tackles, 28 uh you know assists but where he really shined with with four sacks and then he also got an interception and a forced fumble the dude just got it done on the defensive side man and uh there's a that plus seeing him in person and him all over flying all around the field that's the reason why he won it for me simon your thoughts on uh lutheran as well as kind of how the rest of the projection went or at least regular season wise right um, yeah, Dorian Pacheco is as advertised. I tried getting him into the top five inside linebackers list, but it's hard to make it if you're five seven five eight, and so that's a shame. But he's extremely skilled, you know. Um, look, this Lutheran team—they had a lot of talent. We talked about, you know, their offense with Clayton Jacobs, Dorian Pacheco, Ryan King. By the way, Clayton Jacobs, at least as of right now, um, I mean, me and Cody still have a couple more quarterbacks to evaluate, but he's. Uh, one of our highest rated quarterbacks, if not the highest rated quarterbacks for both of us. And so that's how highly we think of him and how good he actually is. And so there's that, you know. And so there's there's definitely that, you know. We talked about their offense, how dominant there will be. Ari Jacobs, our uh, fifth uh, best interior lineman in the state, you know, he's on that squad. He did a lot of good things. He's a very good player. Uh, we didn't even talk about, <clears throat> at least I don't think, we really talked about Bryce Johnson even in this in this thing. But obviously he's there. He's committed to CSU doing his thing. Also, our number 
two or three rated safety. I think maybe number three rated safety in the state. Or no, sorry, number two rated safety in the state of Colorado. That's Bryce Johnson there. And so this Lutheran team, I mean, we're pretty high on them. And they proved us right for a lot of this regular season. We were concerned about their schedule. It was pretty easy. You know, their biggest concern was another team named, Lu named Lutheran from Missouri. But other than that, man, we fully expected them to throttle everyone in their way and, uh, you know, be on top of it. And that's exactly why they did. The biggest reason why we didn't pick them to win state, though, was because of our concern about them just not getting tested. You know, if they played in the same league as maybe a Meade or a Roosevelt, we'd probably be right off. We'd probably be right up there, you know, um, but unfortunately you know they're just a step down so so there you go but Lutheran regardless had a very good season and I mean I think I think we we're pretty much on top of it we predicted them not losing any games too so that's another very good prediction here about Lutheran who did make a deep playoff run but with that being said I'm gonna go ahead and talk about my pick to win state and I picked Meade you know I said Look, they're tired of losing. They're going to get to state. They're going to prove a lot of people wrong, you know. Um, Meade is the type of team that's always been consistently good. You know, I love their coaching staff over there, uh, Coach Klatt and all of them. You know, I think he's a very good coach. He gets a lot out of, frankly, a lot of positions, whether it's offensive line, defensive line, linebackers, DB safeties, quarter. Like, he, they, they develop very good players over there in Meade. I was concerned about them losing their two starting running backs who were very like i mean they're speedsters both of them ran basically four fours <coughs> and they graduated last year uh but other than that i mean i was pretty high on meat i love the physicality of their offensive and defensive line i liked evan morris the running back who you know, just finished outside on our top five running backs list, but he's an absolute beast. He is built and he carries players into the end zone. Corby Teku, also built at 6'2", 220. You know, very Derrick Henry-like. You know, he did his thing as well. I felt like those two guys would be able to pound a lot of teams into submission just because they are so physical. And then I want to throw this out there. I like their quarterback, Gavin Gerritsen. I felt like somebody... I felt like he was somebody who could throw the ball a little bit more here and kind of be a game changer here. He was, uh, I mean, you know, he was a senior quarterback with about two or three years of varsity experience. I was like, okay, that should be good enough to lead Meade at least to state, you know. And so that's why I picked Meade. I felt like the combination of them losing so much and being short um, and whatnot would be enough to motivate them to play well and make a deep playoff run. Um, of course, last year in the 2020 season, they didn't even get a chance. Uh, unfortunately, they lost by forfeit, and that's why they didn't really, you know, get to make too much noise in the playoffs there. And they lost because of COVID. But this year was definitely different, and uh, a very interesting year to say the least for Mead. Not gonna lie, a very up and down year to say the least. But before I get into that. Cody, do you want to talk about Roosevelt here? And then we'll ask Mason about his opinions on Roosevelt and Meade and then talk regular season. Of course, I want to talk about them. Roosevelt Rough Riders, man. I did get to meet with them during the regular season. But, you know, I feel like I felt I still feel pretty good about my prediction here in the preseason. You know, 
Obviously, they did graduate some serious talent. You know, their starting quarterback, Brig, who I had the pleasure of meeting during a regular season game here, he did come back down to watch a game because, you know, his younger brother plays on the team, uh, Bronco Hartson. And, you know, also graduating, you know, Keegan Sterkle, Tommy Brig, Andrew Cole, and Alex Ricks. But they had plenty of young talent that we did do regular film breakdowns on that did inspire us. You know, Anthony Munoz, he's been very supportive and, uh, you know, borderline play or, or at least tries to emulate Anthony Munoz of uh, football legend, of course. But he also is a dog on the defensive side of the ball, uh, just on the line in general. Anthony's phenomenal, you know, leading tackler Cooper Walton, who made our top five linebackers list you know uh was someone to be excited about by the way his recruiting is back open by the way he's no longer committed to csu because they did not honor his scholarship so go recruit one of the top linebackers in the senior class of colorado if you haven't uh then obviously you know logan pool clayton robinson is a dog and uh somebody who will have to do a film breakdown on and you know just a lot of their leading tacklers came back and Roosevelt's pride and joy really is that defense. So the question was going to be on offense. You know, they did have Tucker Peterson coming back, who I did a film breakdown on, and also, you know, was in consideration for one of our awards. We'll talk about that a little bit more later. And, you know, Keaton Kaiser was a guy who we were looking at for our top five senior wide receivers list. Uh, Jaden Herrera was a baller. Uh, Ryan Duchesne and Xavier Ramirez were both dogs in the backfield. And, you know, we were looking for them to take a step forward. So, you know, their biggest question was Brock Saya here. And, you know, I felt with the surrounding cast that he had around him, that was going to be more than enough to bring Roosevelt a state championship. And, you know, I thought that he was going to be the guy who would step up and win the starting job here. And, you know, I, I was very happy with you know these uh i was very happy with these uh predictions and you know to take a look at their regular season here roosevelt we did say you know harrison maybe which we we already addressed that uh holy family who they also addressed you know their opening game of the season 49 to 7 win then the next game against uh pueblo county 49-0 63 0 41-0, 42-0, 37-7, 62-19. Holy cow, they were just shredding everyone. And each week I was getting more and more confident. And then it came to the Fort Morgan game. They were both undefeated. I circled out on the schedule. I was like, I am making the drive. To the, I don't care if I have to walk the rest of the way. I need to see this game. And boy, did it deliver, you know. Um, and I did say they don't win this. Uh, they don't win if this fort morgan game turns into a shootout and uh it didn't turn into a shootout and they won this game here and uh it's just you know also listed here i i don't know if this was me or you simon but saying that it may be a lower scoring game than some expect that's a that's a great call that was me cool <laughs> and it was it was a 14 to 7 game that was a great take by you yeah you that's you said how you might expect that or some might expect how it might be a shootout, but with their combined defense, as you said, it could definitely be a little bit of a grinder here and be a low-scoring one as well. So that's what you said. It, sweet. So thank you, Simon, for doing the uh, past research. I barely remember what I say 10 seconds ago, let alone uh, like six months ago. So uh, 
thank you for that. And it that's exactly what it was. And it was one of the best games I'd seen all year. You know, it was, and I mean, these stands were packed. It was the most packed football game all season that I had attended. The guest stands are no joke. They're just as big as the home stands. And the home stands are like, the, basically the size of like LPS stadium stands, I'd want to say more or less, but they have that on both sides and both sides were full. It was almost impossible to find seats. And of course, where I see, where I sit is only like two rows away from Brick Hartson. What are the odds? And like two seats away from Tucker Peterson's dad, uh, who's who's a great guy and we support. Uh, we appreciate the support, him and his family and just the Roosevelt squad does for our, for our podcast, as well as my boy Nate out there uh, who coaches for Roosevelt. He was up in the booth and I found him after the game, you know, and it was an exciting game. And, you know, I I was feeling the I was on the Roosevelt Rough Rider uh, wave for sure. And, you know, and the only part that we kind of missed on is, you know, saying that they could be a very strong four or five seed. They were the number one seed in the postseason because they just ran through this schedule with a with a head full of steam. So uh, uh, Mason you know, you've got to talk about some of these Roosevelt guys and uh, watch some of their film. What's your reaction to the Rough Rider season? By the way, I love the Rough Rider name and, and you know, what they uh, do for their logo on some of their Instagram accounts. You know, I'm a big uh, Teddy Roosevelt guy. Uh, so we love the Rough Rider kind of mentality here. But Mason, what's your reaction to the Roosevelt season? And then Simon, I want you to talk about maybe some questions you had and, uh, how that will come to play a little bit in the postseason as we transition a little bit. Yeah, no, definitely, man. I I really like, uh, you know, just Roosevelt's defense. Their defense in all, man, is just, it's kind of built different, if that makes sense. Like, like I just want to go, you know, going through their scores again. One, so their second game of the year, third game of the year, fourth game of the year, fifth game of the year, all goose eggs. Oh, they put up zero points against this defense and as you guys showed in one of your linebackers uh one of your top five linebackers of this season uh was a guy from roosevelt you know and then you know they let's see the most points put up against them in a single game was in the regular season 15 19 19 by northridge that's what their defense let up. Defense wins championships. Obviously, that's not the case this year. But defense wins championships. And I am a huge fan of their entire defensive line. I've watched every single one of them all year. Same with their offensive line. Their offensive line gets it done, but their defensive line is where they shine. And it's just cool to see. You know, I like seeing, you know, a team that's not afraid to, you know, rush if they have to rush. But these guys don't have to rush. They just rush their guys you know, if they want to rush, they put in another defensive lineman because they're that stacked at defensive line. So, you know, you can't really argue with the product that they've put out. And, you know, they're going to be scary moving forward. Because I don't think a lot of their defensive linemen are seniors. Because I didn't see that many when we were looking for interior defensive line. So, yeah. Uh, Simon, what you got? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I had Roosevelt as a contender. I believe they would be a contender. I mean, this is one of the most complete teams, not just at 3A, but in the entire state of Colorado. And the way they use all their players is top tier. I would say Roosevelt's offense especially is more complex than a good amount of 5A offenses, honestly. The way they let their first-year starter 
and Brock Sire just throw the ball over the field. I mean, I love that. They also, you know, kept their backs fresh between Ryan Doucette and uh, Cooper Walton, you know, and Xavier Ramirez and Brock Say, who they would run as well. But, you know, they would still throw the ball as well to Tucker Peterson, who did win MVP uh, on the 3A level, deservingly, because he's a beast. And then Keaton Kaiser, who was more of their yak guy, like the guy they put in the slot, and then he would just burn corners and safeties and, you know, just outrun them, you know. And honestly, I like this Roosevelt team a lot. I think, look, I think they'll be back next year for sure, obviously, uh, without, you know, talking too much about the future here. But I just think that they're that stacked here. But the reason I picked Meade was just because, you know, I felt like Meade had a little bit more motivation. Roosevelt obviously went to state last year and they lost to Durango. That happened, right? The last couple of years, sure, you know, Roosevelt was very short of just winning state. Meade, I felt like. I just felt like it was just one of those years, you know. They knew their identity. They knew they wanted to run the ball. They had a quarterback in Gavin Garrettson who arguably had two years of experience on Brock Sia, which did matter when all was said and done, you know, in terms of leadership and calming down this offense. And, I mean, I don't know. I just had to go with Meade, but I knew Roosevelt was going to be a problem. And uh, not going to lie, Roosevelt shook my faith a little bit there when I went to that Roosevelt Meade game, and it was lit in Johnstown. I'm not going to lie, it was packed, and like, it felt like Friday Night Lights. It felt like premier Colorado high school football. And then Roosevelt went out there in the first half, and they went blow, blow for blow with Meade, basically. And then... Um, Tucker Peterson, he actually had that huge touchdown because Meade was about to run away with the game. But if it wasn't for Tucker Peterson absolutely mossing that cornerback who was in the right position, but wasn't just gonna—he just wasn't gonna be able to outmuscle or outjump a Tucker Peterson. I mean, he got Roosevelt back in that game. That got—that got the crowd going in there, and then Brock Sia would eventually start to light it up as he did have one of his probably his best game all season against Meade. And, you know, if they went blow for blow in that first half, that second half wasn't even close. It felt like Meade only punted two times, which is not a lot. And it wasn't like there were turnovers. But it mattered because Brock Sia would score basically every time he got the ball. And that would result in Roosevelt blowing out Meade. And that shook my confidence in Meade going into the season. I was like, oh, I don't... Like, I, I know this was going to be a tough game, but Meade losing like that and responding like that, that is a hard pill to swallow. And then Meade losing to Frederick in the last game of the season. Oh, my God. I was, like, about ready to, like, cry. and just, like, <laughs> I was ready to write him off. I'm like, dang it. Like, I, I felt like this. What are you season. doing? <laughs> like, yeah, I was like, what are you doing? And what? you're better than this. You have two power backs who could run over everyone and a great, uh, well, maybe not a great defensive line, but a pretty good defensive line. You can sleep <laughs> around it, you know. Uh, but, like, still, I don't know. I was very disappointed. But, uh, man, the story of this me team going to the playoffs was crazy. Before we do that, though, is there anything else you want to talk about regular season-wise about any of these other teams? I did look up uh, the Durango game against that team you said they lost to in New Mexico. They were the runners up for state in the Durango in the New Mexico 5A state championship. That's not bad. Damn. That's pretty <laughs> good. That's yeah. that's really good. Hello, 5A in New Mexico. Um I guess I just want to give a quick shout out to, you know, 
our uh, playmakers of the week. Guys like uh, Teddy Huttenhauer out there in Glenwood Springs. They're a very solid team. I They're probably a playoff team next year. Uh, all things said and done. Joaquin Sandoval, I think he made some good strides this year to be a really good football player. Next year, um, you know, Corby Teku, he won Playmaker of the Week for, for Meade, obviously. Uh, Brock Saya, I think he won Playmaker of the Week for that uh, Meade game. And then Jace Bella, uh, you know, Pueblo South was a team that I would say was a kind of a fringe team that we were looking at because we knew that they had Jace. And I believe that, Simon, you did a breakdown on him and kind of talked about no, you did do a breakdown on it? No, I talked about them a lot and hyped them up. I said oh, their team that'll yeah. probably make the playoffs and Jace Bella is a premier athlete in the entire state. Um, which, which was true, which was true. You know, he yeah. won Playmaker of the Week twice and, uh, it, you know, he, he did. did have an injury-riddled season, though, at the start. But, yeah, he went, eventually when he came back, like, he, they were good, you know? Yeah, for sure. So, you know, that's... That was cool to to see them kind of pop off. And then Palisade, you know, they're another team with uh, Malachi Espinosa, as well as, you know, our uh, the guy I voted Defensive Playmaker of the Year uh, in Kevin Sorgren. Uh, both of those guys had really good weeks as well. Uh, Ryland Cooney, you know, that quarterback out of Holy Family, by the way, also won a Playmaker of the Week. So, you know, a lot of these guys who win Playmaker of the Week, you know, a lot of the time... Their team ends up in the playoffs and making some noise. And uh, if we're going to start talking about this, these playoffs here, I think it starts with, you know, kind of reacting to our bracket and whatnot. And, you know, three of the big time teams that we're talking about between Roosevelt and Meade and Durango, they were all on the same side of the bracket. And that was a crazy, oh, crazy freaking side of the bracket for sure. Maybe not so much in the first round. Other than Meade eking out a one-point win over Northridge. And Simon, they would keep your heart rate up for uh, a lot of the postseason. But actually, wait, Simon, do you have anything to say about Northridge? Because I know that you've done a lot of breakdowns of guys from there. And uh, they were kind of giving you a hard time a uh, little bit. But overall, I mean, I felt like you had good things to say about them. Yeah, I did say Meade low-key played down to Northridge. In hindsight... I kind of still feel that way. <laughs> like, I'm just going to be honest. Northridge is a very young team. I think they will be a contender next year. That's just my opinion. Um, but they were a very young team. I felt like Meade definitely played down to them. Meade losing to Frederick the way they did the week before left a very, very sour taste in my mouth. And so that's why I said that. It was pretty tough on Meade. And probably didn't give Northridge the credit they deserve, but they're definitely a, and I think they're definitely a squad that, you know, is going to be really good next year. I said, I did do a film break, or well, not a film breakdown, a spotlight on their program. I said, they're young, but they're going to gel. They're going to have, they're going to be one of those young teams that could upset some teams here and there. But I don't think this year's their year quite yet. They need to learn still. And so that's what they did. And, you know, shout out to my boy, uh, Coach Garza over at Northridge. You know, I told him straight up. Because we were talking about Northridge, we said, like, hey, they got dogs on that team. If I'm going to be honest, depending on how this offseason goes, they could win state next year, straight up, you know. But they need to put in work. And I told Coach Garza over there, like, hey, 
be tough on your boys. You know, he's the PE, he's one of the PE teachers over there. Like, be tough on them because it's worth it winning state. You know, but they need to take it seriously. Like, seriously. Like, you need to grow up and take it seriously and get everyone to buy in. Because if you can, I think Northridge could win state and be state champions as soon as next year. So there you go. Just wanted to put respect on uh, their name. But, uh, yeah, Mead was Loki in the middle between recovering from that loss from Frederick and trying to get into their playoff mindset, uh, as it showed with these first two games here. So, yeah. Yeah, for sure. You know, winning... Both of these really close ones. You know, I will admit that I did take Durango over Mead in my uh, bracket that I did before the start of the postseason. But other than that, I was pretty accurate, you know, only missing in the first round. I took Pueblo South over Holy Family. They were like the eight and nine seeds, I'm pretty sure. So uh, one of the tighter games in the first round as well. But that was the only one that I didn't get correct in the first round. Other than that, my... Second round and final four was all accurate, except for uh, Durango, you know, did lose to Meade. I took Durango over Meade to head to the final four. And, uh, you know, up to the final four, I was feeling pretty good about my brackets. And I was feeling pretty good about Roosevelt uh, taking state, you know, after especially after Thump and Thomas Jefferson and Holy Family, uh, putting 50 burgers on both of those teams for sure on that side of the bracket. And then, you know, down on this side of the bracket, it's a little bit quieter. You know, Lutheran smashes Discovery Canyon and Palisade by the same score. You know, living up to uh, the preseason hype that we had felt from them. And uh, Fort Morgan also kind of delivering here, not being DiGiorno with a close win over Green Mountain, which kind of had me a little concerned. I was like, 14-0, to zero, that's not a very good win against a team that you're ranked way higher than. And Frederick was red hot. They were... They were so hot heading into, you know, this second round of the playoffs after obliterating Meade and then obliterating Pueblo County. They headed into the second round against Fort Morgan. And, you know, Fort Morgan, they were the kings of winning close, way too close games this year. It, they weren't the scoring, like, crazy uh, team that I expected them to really be. But they were a very sound and very winning football team here, you know, uh, going all winning all but one game in the regular season and, you know, winning an out of state game first off against a Nebraska team. But then, you know, losing that close one to Roosevelt, beating Northridge by only three points uh, the very next week, getting a 19 point win over Holy Family. And then, like I said, a two touchdown win over Green Mountain a, and a one touchdown win over frederick and this is where things really started to heat up but i want to pass it to mason to talk about his bracket real quick and what his bracket looked like into the final four because i think once we get into the final four this is where things get super insane and we really have to dive into it yeah no definitely so my bracket was kind of different i guess so i ended up having you know for my final four was roosevelt in uh, Durango facing and then Fort Morgan and Lutheran um, with Roosevelt and Lutheran going to the final. Um, obviously, Meade made it into the final four, you know, and it was uh, pretty crazy, but I did pretty good. This was actually one that wasn't a, I didn't have a really bad 
pick other than I guess me my worst pick on here would be me losing to Northridge. That was my worst pick for this. Um, but yeah, once we get into that final four, it got pretty crazy. They did a they did some stuff here that no one really expected. Um, I'm gonna go ahead and pass it to Simon. Simon, what did how did your bracket turn out for three A? Honestly, I'm gonna be real. I don't think many of our picks were super off for this because it got really close. This might have been one of the most exciting brackets in Colorado in all of Colorado high school football. Just looking at these scores, being at some of these games, man, it was down to the wire to say the least. But uh, in my bracket, I had Roosevelt pretty much beating everyone in their way and going to state. Did predict Holy Family over Pueblo South, though, so I got that one right. So I got this a whole branch right um but i did well and then i had durango evergreen durango over evergreen mead over northridge and so they would meet but i did have durango beating mead here to move on and play roosevelt and i think that was a pretty key game when mead beat durango i think that was the turning point if there were any turning point in this mead season i think that was it like okay obviously surviving in northridge that's great but that's a team you should beat Going to Durango, they had to, okay, that's a really far drive. They had to stop in a town, like in some random, I forgot which town it was. I wish I knew what it was because I would shout them out because they had very good hospitality. But they had to stop in a town on the way to Durango on Friday to practice and then traveled the rest of the way. I well, got a hotel and then traveled the rest of the way to Durango to play that playoff game on Saturday. That's a very far drive. All the way from northern Colorado, basically, in Mead, down to southern Colorado, uh, to Durango. And so that was going to be tough, you know. And then Durango, I mean, whenever you play in their house, it's going to be trouble. You know, as as Josh Bates says, you know, they they know how to get down over there. And so uh, that was going to be a tough game. And they eked that one out by one point. And that's a very, you already know, that was a hard-hitting tough old school like we're just gonna keep punching each other into the jaw type of game until somebody submits is what it was and me basically survived that one and i felt pretty good about them going into that roosevelt game but still i was sticking to my predictions here having roosevelt going to state lutheran i have them going to state as well i did actually pick frederick over fort morgan though uh basically everything that I got the whole first round right, so there you go, on both sides of the bracket. But I did predict Frederick to beat Fort Morgan. They almost did. They only lost 21-14. to 14. So there's definitely, like, a universe where, like, you know, Frederick, like, beat Fort Morgan and made it to the semis. And then I had Lutheran beating Frederick once they got in there. But it was definitely a different story with Fort Morgan and Lutheran here in the semis. I'm, here, let's just talk about it, honestly. I mean... The teams that I think all of us were pretty much on the same page, I think we both kind of assumed it would be a Roosevelt and Lutheran state championship. And it was the exact opposite of that as, well, let's talk about this one on the bottom here. As Fort Morgan would upset Lutheran 23-21, to 21, Lutheran had a chance to win the game, but Frank Ortega did come up with a really big interception in the end zone. One of the best interceptions I've seen all season, to be honest with you. Not even that bad of a ball from Clayton Jacobs to close them out and send the Mustangs to state. Uh, I I was shocked, 
honestly. Um, Cody, w- what did you think about that game there, Fort Morgan beating Lutheran? I was, I was surprised. Um, obviously, you know, Lutheran, they were dealing all season. And Fort Morgan, they they got through their season. They won a lot of games. They won a lot of games against good opponents. And I think that's kind of what it came down to here a little bit is just like, you know, Fort Morgan, they've been in close games half their season. Lutheran, they waxed everybody. And so between that, as well as, you know, what we did, we did get a little bit of insight that there was an illness going around. It wasn't uh, COVID, but it was, you know, some kind of cold or something that hit this team pretty hard. And a lot of players had to practice virtually uh, for this Lutheran squad. And I think that obviously plays into account what happens on game day as Clayton Jacobs, you know, he was one of those players who was sick and couldn't get full practices in. And he had a really tough game. I mean, it's bad enough that you have to face off against Fort Morgan. uh, And, you know, all the, just the solid coaching and play calling that they have on the offensive and defensive side of the ball. And who has stifled some of the, I mean, they held Roosevelt to 14 points. You know, that's a feat in and of itself because Roosevelt has just as many weapons as Lutheran does, arguably. And, you know, they held them to 14 and they held this lightning Lutheran attack down to 21. But really it came down to one play and that was from one of our defensive playmaker of the year candidates in Frank Ortega, making an incredible toe tap interception in the end zone with like no time left in the game. And Fort Morgan, you know, this was a very back and forth game. Fort Morgan got they hit a field goal to take a lead and then Lutheran hit like a 60 yard pass to get inside the 20 yard line before this interception on the very next play. So it was just a wild game. And I think obviously the illness has a lot to do with what happened, you know, in this game and Lutheran not getting the practice time, but also, you know, um, just uh, that the discipline and the clutch part of the, uh, Fort Morgan team, which they would apply later, but uh, you know that they would be waiting the winner of Roosevelt and Meade in the championship. And in this rematch, it, things went a little bit differently. And I remember us talking about it at the one and two a uh, state championships. We were checking scores throughout the day and seeing the score of this Meade and Roosevelt game was very surprising uh, to us. As uh, you know, Roosevelt, especially me with Roosevelt, I thought that they were invincible at this point and was looking forward to a Roosevelt and Fort Morgan rematch and uh, Meade, you know, they, they pulled it out. They didn't let Simon down as far as at least making it to the state championship game. But Simon, you got to watch this uh, 3A state championship game. We heard your recap on it uh, in that, in that episode, you know, that talked about 4A and 5A, but I mean, there's still got to be pleasant surprises and uh, feeling pretty good about Meade's run during this regular season and even this postseason, It was kind of magical to an extent. Yeah, I mean, this is what they're capable of, though. I think this is the new standard for Meade. Um, first off, this was their first ever state championship appearance. So that's, you know, that that's pretty big, right? That's a pretty big deal. And so I think now that they've been there, obviously they're graduating a lot of kids, but at least the younger generation knows, like, hey, 
you know, this is what it's like to be at stake. Because it was wild. You know, Fort Morgan, like, they were packing the stands. Meade basically packed the whole side that they were on, plus maybe a little bit of the other side. You know, like, it was crazy. You had a, Meade's marching band there. Fort Morgan's band was there. The whole, a whole student section that had to be a couple hundred strong, at least maybe even a couple thousand strong. Not going to lie. At least it seemed that way. You know, like, this was a very intense game. Um, look, when it came... What it came down to was that Fort Morgan had a quarterback that was extremely composed and was used to making a lot of plays, either throwing it or running it. Um, you know, Briggs Wheatley, he just played a heck of a game here. Uh, when it came to Mead, I've thought this over a couple of times. I don't know. I don't know what else they could have done better, to be honest with you. I mean, well, here it comes down to the little things is really what happens. Honestly, I mean, they had to call like five of their six total timeouts in the entire game just for delay of game penalties. And I don't know what was going on there with Gavin Garrettson or whatever, but it just felt really weird to me that they were calling so many. There was one point where they called two straight timeouts um, because of delay of penalties. And then even though they were on offense, you know, which was wild, they did that in the first half and the second half. And uh, that's just a very strange thing to do you could say they're unprepared but then they come back next series and score going no hurry so i don't know what the deal was there because they obviously showed the ability to go you know hurry up and win it and so maybe you could argue if Meade had two of those timeouts back they could maybe have scored at the end there but uh i don't know like i don't know I think about this game a lot. This game was just close is what it was. It was just a very close game. And I don't think there was anything that either of these teams could have done more. Honestly, I think this could have went either way if maybe one or two plays exactly were different. So uh, that's how this one ended. But Cody or Mason, uh, what were your reactions to this game, to the results and, uh, you know, all that great stuff as we wrap up 3A here? Yeah, no, I definitely want to just say I did not expect either of these teams to be in the state, you know, finals, like the game. But man, just, you know, like we weren't at the game, Simon, you were. But God, that was, we were watching the scores and it was, that was insane. So I just want to say like congratulations and great job to both of these squads for just making it there and proving us wrong. Cody? Uh, you know, I would like to take just a little bit of credit for feeling kind of high on Fort Morgan in the preseason. Obviously, I didn't call them a champion. I just said, you know, that they're they're like maybe a tier below below a contender. And in which case they proved they proved us wrong in that sense. But I mean, Briggs Wheatley, man, he's a dog. And Frank Ortega's a dog. And, I mean, they had a lot of other contributors. They played nasty. They played tough. They This Fort Morgan program is a pretty successful program here in Colorado as far as football goes. They're, they're hard-nosed, but they're adaptive at the same time. And I love the blend of old and new school that they have. They have a pretty expansive route tree, I would say, that allows, you know, their quarterbacks to really show off their stuff. But also they put all their guys in great positions to make plays offensively and defensively 
And then when they're dogs on top of that with the positions that they're put in, you know, you end up with a championship team, a very well coached team and one that, uh, I mean, clutches in their DNA. 14-0, to 21-14, 23-21, 21-17. Those are a lot of close games. And I bet that, you know, the coaching staff was probably the most happy because they're like, oh, thank God we don't have to coach another fourth quarter for another year because, oh my, this is like the most stressful month of football I've seen scoreboard-wise. So, you know, uh, huge shout-outs to Fort Morgan and congratulations on your championship in Mead. You know, they're, they've been around the block plenty of times, you know. They they got to win one soon, I think, because uh, they're fighting a reputation of sorts. And uh, Wait, but this was their first state championship. Yeah, yeah but I mean, as far as close but no cigar. I mean, it's a pretty big deal to make it to state. It is. It is. Maybe I just want them to win one soon. Maybe I'm just impatient, but... Uh, and especially because our boy Scott Martinson's there, who I got to coach with. I want to see Scott walking around with a ring on. So uh, let's let's get that let's get that chip uh, to me because I mean they're just such a great program and uh, they produce plenty of studs. And God, three A football, it's so dang good. It's so tough. There's there's not a level of football here in Colorado that just has like that kind of like like you know, futuristic, adaptive, modern play calling mixed with hard nose, grind it out, you know, want to crush your enemy's bones kind of vibes in, in the football games, you know. The rivalries here are so intense and they're so exciting. And they're, but they're still clean, you know. There, there's not drama involved a lot here on this 3A level, I don't think. And I think that's what makes it so exciting to watch. It's I feel like it's watching just like a golden hour of football, um, but it's like it's it's a small group though, you know. Uh, whereas yeah. the next section that we'll be talking as far as four A is just every team is so different, which is what makes that yeah. exciting. Well, three A to me honestly felt like it feels like college football to a degree. It feels like high level, like like the SEC, like you got your Bamas and Georgias and LSUs and, you know, one of the Mississippis, whether it's all Miss Mississippi State, one of them is makes it in there, does something. Florida's like, each of these teams have very strong cultures and like very specific playing styles and it's very unique to them and I mean, it's good. Honestly, it's good. Like, honestly, I probably wouldn't call for the jobs of any of the coaches that made the playoffs here. Even I know Mead has, you know, came up short a couple of times, but Coach Klatt is still leagues above, you know, like a Falcons lot, most of four and five A, honestly. Yeah. I mean, you know, these leagues above most of the coaches here in the Springs is what I was gonna say, you know. And I mean, you know, Durango's coach, Coach Casper, for Morgan's coach, Lutheran's coach as well, having to do like deal with what he did that week, you know, they still almost won it even though that was arguably their only bad game of the season, you know. And uh, look, Prumbo South even getting in their holy family, adjusting and uh, trusting a young quarterback, you know, Durango as well. Like I said, Northridge on the rise. This is an exciting group. And I don't know. I know 6A is coming around, and uh, it might split up some of these, and I hope that doesn't happen because I feel like this is such a – I mean, it's so entertaining. 
I had a lot of fun covering 3A, honestly. I mean, I had a lot of fun covering all of them, but 3A especially, it just felt like, I don't know. Like, there's just some historical vibe to it, you know? And not like, uh, oh, it's just Cherry Creek and Valor Christian, you know? That's it. It's like, no, there's like 10 teams that could have been in here, you know? Right? So, Mason, do you agree with that? Any Also, any last words on 3A? No, 100% I agree. I think 3A was one of my favorites to cover this year just because you couldn't tell who was going to be the best. You just couldn't. All season, it was back and forth between, you know, this team, that team. Obviously, you have your front runners, you know, like Lutheran looking good all year. But some teams look good one week and like Meade, like you said, you know, Meade lost two games and you were ready to give up on them. Then they were in the state championship game. So, like, it's it's going to be insane to see next year. Uh, but I hope 6A doesn't, you know, mess it up. But, you know, it is what it is. And we're, you know, we're here to cover it. So, um, yeah. moving on. Well, that wraps up 3A. Okay, what's good, y'all? It's uh, one of your co-hosts, Simon, a.k.a. Coach V, you know. Um, just wanted to go ahead and record this intro here. We had to split up the recordings because these were getting really long. And so this episode, as you could probably see, is 1A, 2A, 3A season in review. On Friday, we have 4A and 5A drop-in, so you could check that out. We just wanted to separate these so it's easier for you to listen to. But... Just wanted to make sure I record this intro here. Go ahead and give us a follow on our social medias. That's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Playmakers Corner. And then also, go ahead and subscribe and follow us on Twitch. We will be going live there. And, you know, we'll go live on Instagram and TikTok at the same time. But we will just basically be uh, showing our Twitch live stream there. As, uh, you know, on our Twitch, we are going to go live and, you know, break down some films there so you could see our i guess raw reactions and our process and then in addition we are also going to talk about other things like team full gorilla tryouts ducks tryouts you know just talk about the vibes there and so if you want to check that out go ahead and follow us on twitch we'll announce when we go live and you know what go ahead and subscribe to our youtube channel at playmakers corner all of our uh, raw basically live streams will be uploaded to our YouTube channel so we'll just upload it straight up without any uh, editing there just so that you could view it if you'd like and you know we may or may not get to uploading those on our Spotify uh, app podcast you know all that stuff as an audio but I just wanted to throw that out there so you have access to it but other than that thank you for listening to this episode and tune in on Friday where we talk 4 a.m. 5 a.m. football